0: rely on on x hunt when i'm hunting turkeys it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool hey i'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the meat eater podcast which is poncho outdoors the reason i'm excited is i buy their shirts anyways dude they make some good shirts and they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude you can click like the skinny dude thing it's great based in austin texas poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the meat-eater podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. hunt the meat-eater podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, we'll get to introductions in a minute, but I I want to ask you guys one thing first because this is the thing I always try to explain to people. Um, What are the things as outfitters, as guides, and you guide mountain hunts, what things prevent people from uh, realizing their dreams? I'm talking about clients. What are the things that prevent clients from realizing their dreams? when they go on a guided mountain hunt is it Err? Gr- <clears throat> r- like grrr <laughs> is it that their boots don't fit right
1: you know i i think a lot of it they're we've taken a lot of people who really don't know how to hunt uh i'll be i'll say well let's go over here and i can hear them they're, they're talking loud they're they're uh, they're heavy with their feet on the ground. They don't sometimes realize or sense the fact that uh, that mere thudding through the the timber is something that animals pick up on very quickly. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And in fact, I've I've done some experimenting when I've tried been trying to make a stick or a snake. I've taken sticks and uh, with my walking, I'll change up my rhythm of my walk so that I'm not known as a man walk through the timber. And I think it's, it's been advantageous, but those are things that I've observed from people that they don't know how to hunt an animal, how to sneak on an animal. And and they just take for granted that maybe the outfitter is going to just magically be able to beam one over on the hill and they're going (laughs) to be able to shoot it. And so there is, it's a, it's, I think it's a learned, you know, I've had to tell hunters, you guys have got to step more quiet, watch what you're stepping on. Um. Because if, they, if they're merely there just to, to let you be their eyes, the whole experience
0: is really not a, a re- realized full hunting experience. I would have oh, oh, okay, go ahead though, Landon. Then we're going to do our intros. I just
2: want to lead in with a sizzle. Okay. Well, I was going to say, uh, from my, my standpoint, uh, one of the biggest challenges is the physical capacity of the hunter. Um, obviously, at the elevation that we hunt at, um, guys coming from 2000 foot of elevation, if they're in poor shape, poor condition, they struggle. Obviously we hunt with horses, but to get them from the horse to where we need to get the shot made, sometimes that window closes before they can get in position. They're huffing and puffing and out of breath because the hike, you know, that 50 yards away from the horse just blew their doors off and, uh, they struggle, <laughs> um, to get their gun steady enough yeah. to, to be able to make a good shot. So physical fitness, physical fitness, very important is shooting is shooting ability up high on the list. Most definitely. Yeah. And knowing where your gun shoots, um, and knowing obviously the range that we shoot, you know, not, we don't like anything much over four fifty, you know, but we want guys to feel comfortable with those longer ranges. Um, and if they're coming from, you know, the Eastern side of the, uh, the state, sometimes those, shots that they take aren't necessarily they're not used to that long range shot and so spending time behind the scope learning the timing of the crosshairs and getting that down is a key part to being able to make a good shot
0: uh my last comment before we do do our intros is uh i'm speaking to well landon and stewart uh but my favorite quote from the week was when stewart was telling a story about uh, the second nicest buck he'd ever laid eyes on. And the client took a shot, and as he expressed it, he said, and he didn't even spook it. <laughs> oh. All right, so yeah. Hold so,
3: on, I'd like, to find, uh, <laughs> I'd like to find out, since you got to ask where uh, shooting ability falls in. No, go ahead. <clears> then, yeah, in no. the ranking. I'd like to know where uh, a positive mental attitude falls in the ranking to you know to help someone's success. Like is that
1: high and very important? <clears throat> well there's no doubt it's important because I, I think uh, in and I've hunted in a few other areas and uh one of the things is can be very discouraging to, to people are thinking we're spotting four hundred yards away across the, the canyon or five hundred. I don't know if I've got that kind of ability. And so there's, there is a mindset that because a lot of our clients have been, like Landon alluded to, that uh, they're shooting maybe 100 yards mm-hmm. because that's what their terrain and, and uh, you know, the shrubbery and trees allow. Sure. Anything more than that, then they don't see the animal. And, and so when they come out here, they're kind of at awe at the fact that they can see an animal for such a distance and trying to close that gap mentally to think, you know, there's a chance and that's quite honestly, I I believe that's where some of the experience, you know, Landon's, uh, I've been dragging him up there since he was a four year old boy. Um, I've been up there a little over 30 years now and it makes a difference when you know, the terrain, when you watch the behavior of animals, when they're under pressure, where they go, what they do. Um, that's what that can, that can help if, if they have confidence in an outfitter from that perspective as well. But the positive attitude, I mean, I've had guys that uh, when they got out there, they, they just thought, this is way too tough. It's way too physical. You know, I've got the horse to deal with, you know,
0: there's too much. uh, How, How long does it take for that to creep in on someone?
2: I think it depends on a lot of the circumstances they come in contact with. You know, if, if they have a bad experience right at the front of the hunt, You know where a horse spooks them or has a tendency to intimidate them because of a situation. I think we've seen guys; it impacts them to the point that they're nervous to get on the horse. And there's been some guys that just have thrown the towel in and said, "Hey, we're done. We're not hunting anymore." You know, I've got too much to lose or whatever. Yeah. Um, And so I think there's just a lot of things that can happen depending on how strong they are when they come mentally, um, how where their confidence level is and their ability physically. Um, and uh, and then you know, that first day, what they see, the excitement that's generated from the animals, and so I mean, there's a combination of things I think that play into that. Yeah, now let's do intros. Okay, go ahead. Well, um, I'm Landon Peterson. I've been uh, uh like my dad said, I've been with them uh, going ever since I was a four year old boy. Um, I loved hunting from a, a, a just beginning, and I always would get left at home, and I hated that. Um, So when I had the opportunity at the age of 12 to go up— You mean
0: you'd be able to go up there when there weren't clients on your camp?
2: So we went up in the summertime, and that's when we would do the fishing and stuff. But I wasn't allowed—you know, I didn't get to go up when we were doing the hunting because I was too small, and I didn't have the physical capacity to keep up. And so I look forward to that, you know, when I got to do that at the age of 12. So I've been up in the hills every year since I was 12 years old hunting up in that area. And you were born in Cokeville, Wyoming? I was born actually in Price, Utah and moved here when I was a year old. Oh, okay. So, yep. And, and then
0: tell everyone the name of your guys' business.
2: Crooked Sky Outfitters is the name of our business. Um, and I, I bought in with my dad as an actual partner, um, bought an uncle out who had been a partner with my dad. I bought him out uh, six years ago. And, uh, and that was, I just was my dream to have an opportunity to step into that role. My uncle was getting to a point physically where he wasn't able to, to keep up. And so then I was able to step in, buy him out and and become an equal partner with my dad in the business.
4: Adam so. Weatherby.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> it's your second
4: time on the show. Yeah. Kind of old news around here, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was on back in the spring, I think with Brenda. Uh, my wife, and uh, but I'm Adam Weatherby.
0: Uh, it should be your job to tell everybody what we've just been up to.
4: <clears throat> In the mountains? Yeah, you can do it or Yanni can do it. I don't like doing I'll it. I'll tell people what's I going on. I got two things. Yeah, so anyways, Adam <laughs> Weatherby, uh, Weatherby, uh, 74-year-old firearms business, I get to run it, took it over from my dad, who took it over from my grandpa, and that's what we do. But no, I mean, what we've been show? up to, like what we've been up yeah, to. you betcha. You. So, well, I got a call, well... Giannis, we started talking back earlier this year, and I knew that Giannis and Steve had a bunch of points for mule deer in Wyoming. And I'd moved to Wyoming, moved my business there. Let me back you up for a second just to okay. make
0: sure people are tracking. Okay. Meaning yeah. we had applied unsuccessfully for Wyoming. Eight years. Yeah, mule deer <laughs> licenses.
4: Well, it's right. not quite. I I'm just you're trying to in,
0: give it an, I'm trying. Okay, go uh, ahead, Giannis.
4: Putting in for... <laughs> <laughs> put different points. There's some regions yeah. in Wyoming as non-residents. No, break it down. Break it down. That some regions in, in Wyoming that uh, are harder to draw than others and yep. get a tag in. And Steve and Giannis here, wanted to go shoot a nice buck. And so they would put in for several years. And if you put in unsuccessfully, you can obtain a point. Or else you can just buy a point. Correct. Which it, some years, say,
0: I, think, I think a lot of those years, we probably just bought the point.
3: How much is the point? Fifty bucks? No. no, that's
0: elk.
4: Which one?
3: Forty for the mule deer, thirty for an antelope, fifty for a for a. So, uh, so you would put
4: in over three hundred bucks over a period of eight years. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. And then you bought the tag. That really puts it into perspective. Which probably cost you another few hundred bucks to actually then.
3: I, th- I want to say the tags were around few hundred bucks, right? Six. No,
4: that's
1: an elk yeah. tag. Yeah, yeah that's sure. about what a non-resident elk tag is. But what about oh, a mule six deer? And a half. Non-resident mule deer. Yeah. Uh. Well, that, it's you know, some. Hundreds. I think there was four hundred fifty, four seventy five. I can't remember now what the non rest on the deer is. <clears throat> so,
4: so there, area, so
0: there we, we can, were. So
1: going. there <laughs> you were.
4: So you guys, Giannis and Steve here, had then put together this hunt that really started a couple years back, talking to a family member of these guys. That's right. About doing this kind of dream southwestern Wyoming high country mule deer hunt.
0: Yeah, you guys had, uh, well, you know what? Law Stewart allow Stuart to introduce himself.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Real quick. Okay.
1: And I'm Stuart Peterson. I have uh, been in this outfitting business with uh, initially with my uncle. Uh, started back in the mid to late 80s. So right at about the 30-year mark, I've been marching around up there. I was raised in Cokeville as well. Um, raised on a ranch, a cattle ranch here. And then I, uh, went to school for a bit and decided that wasn't really quite what I was interested in, but I wanted to come home and ranch. And dad and mom said, no, we, we think you need to get an idea of what you want to do better than ranching. So they I, discouraged <coughs> you from becoming a cattle rancher. They, they discouraged me from kind of like, cause things were tough. Um, you know, we, it was always tough. I, I grew up with, uh, with six, uh, there were six siblings in the family. And we live on a little house south of town, south of Cokeville, about seven miles. And we uh, kind of nicknamed that place Little House on the Prairie. And that's where we grew up uh, with very little. we There were six kids uh, in a two-bedroom home. Um, so very tight quarters growing up. And we just didn't seem like there was that much money. And I, I think that's what it boiled down to for mom and dad. They just said, hey, you've got to have a better life than that. It was a struggle. It was a wrestle. And so we, <clears throat> that's what we grew up with. And, and, uh, I, I took a lot of shop classes in high school, woodworking, that type of stuff. And, and so I was pretty intrigued with that. And so I've been doing uh, custom home, uh, rustic furniture cabinetry for a number of years now. And that's, what's been my main livelihood. The outfitting has been my love. That's been what I've wanted to do. And, and, and you know, of course in Wyoming, the, the draw has always made it a difficult challenge for us. We can book hunters and we would book year after year, the same hunters, if they could get tags year after year. That's so what it's, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, really been a difficult, uh, path to try to hang on and make sure that we're, we're, uh, able to feed a string of horses through the winter. And, and, uh, we do do the summer pack trips and that helps. Uh, to, to cover some of those costs, but the reality of it is, is that the, the outfitting business is something that I've enjoyed doing, um, ever since I got into it, but it was something that I had aspired, had aspired to do because my dad was a guide and and I couldn't wait till when I was uh, back in our day, we had to be 14 to go hunt. And I, I begged dad to go up before that. He said, no, you can't, uh, you're 14. So when I was 14, it was, it was like having Christmas hit the the week that we could go. And it was mostly elk hunting at that time, which, cause the school let us out for a couple of days on a weekend. So we could go up and, and, you know, four days we could be up in camp. And I just ate that up, you know, and I, and I of course I've always loved horses and it just really seemed to meet my need to be up in
0: the mountains on a good horse. At, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, uh. And Adam, we're going to come back to the whole what we're doing. But if you were discouraged by your parents from being a rancher, how did it feel when your son, who's sitting here, Landon, got into ranching?
1: Well, I, I I've, I've had the you know the frank conversation about you know it's it's a good life, but it's a tough life. You, you know the markets are up there. You know, you never know sometimes what your crops will do to you, um, how the calves are going to come in and weigh out, so that you've got you know what the price will be for those calves. So it's it's one of those it's it's you know just about as good as maybe going to Las Vegas and and uh, playing the chips <laughs> because so, there's so <laughs> he could be doing just as good. It, he he might could just I mean, but but Lannon's going about it in a way that uh, you know perhaps being a little smaller unit, he can do, my dad was in the corporation with, with two other brothers. And, and so they grew, you know, and, and they built quite a, a, a cow herd and, and, uh, and that was just how they, they did things, but there was never much, uh, that came back to it. Now they've been, since been able to, to move some of the land that they'd acquired and, and had paid off and, and it's made their lives comfortable. But for heaven's sake, sir, my my folks are 82. So it came late in life for them to really enjoy some of the benefits that could have been earlier, and I think that's really why they steered me away. And and I wouldn't say that they. I think they're proud of what Landon's doing, as I am. Uh, but I'm. I think they've probably you know crossed their fingers that markets will stay good and that uh, the uh, you know hay prices won't be so you know so costly. So all of that comes into play. But uh, it's I'm I've been excited for him to be able to have. Mostly that he's home, back home. We have you know, their cute little family there on a regular basis in our home, and we just enjoy we enjoy the family scene. So uh, for us, m- maybe as much as anything, I've been glad that that was one way to get him back home because there's not a lot of opportunities. But his entrepreneurial spirit has uh, has compelled him to to be able to to move in the direction of trying to build a cow herd and and. Uh, seems to be finding some success at some of the things he's been, you know, consistently researching. And so he's done a, he's done a lot of homework and uh, I think it's paying off and, and we're excited to his, uh, his mother and I are very excited to have him in the neighborhood again.
0: Okay, Adam, get back to it now. So there we were, me and Yanni waited eight years. Right. Patiently. And we finally drew. Finally drew a uh, unit, a region.
4: In southwestern Wyoming, yep, known for having mature, really nice bucks. So I'd moved Weatherby, our gun business, from California to Wyoming. And I'd been here a little over 12 months, which means that I can gain residency in Wyoming. So then I'm different than you guys. So at that point, I'm special. You just go wherever you want,
0: whenever you want.
4: <laughs> yeah. So I could go in for like 40 bucks or whatever it is and just say, I want to go hunt with Giannis and Steve and then just go do it that day. And so uh, that was put kind of how this thing, how I hopped on board here was really jumping in with you guys as something that's really been a dream of yours. Uh, and I'm passionate about, you know, the high country, mule deer, back country, horses, everything you guys were doing. And so – At the slightest little conversation, I jumped in to team up with you guys and then Crooked Sky to head in for a week-long pack trip to some pretty high elevation uh, area with high concentration of elk and mule deer, but with the sole specific purpose of rifle hunting mule deer. And that's what we did. It was a great job. Yeah, that was good. And then Yanni succinct. Yeah. I learned from Steve over the years. Uh, <laughs> Yanni, talk
0: about, talk about the story about how he met up with Crooked Sky. About the, rel- uh, the relative of these guys. Yeah.
3: Perry. What's his last name?
0: Dayton. Dayton. He Dayton. wrote a letter to make you guys blush. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I wish I had it. I wonder if I could pull it up real quick. We get
0: a lot of letters, but it caught our attention.
3: Huh. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um,
0: Perry emailed me today. See how the uh, hut was.
3: <laughs> yeah, he just, uh, we must have been talking about it on the podcast. I think we or talked something. about our aspiration to draw yeah.
0: Region G tags. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. And then he and then he emailed and said, if you do, just so happens that my family has been running an outfit and
1: business up there for how many years? Well, my uncle had uh, started back in uh, the real early 60s. So I was, you know, from about 60 on. That he uh, was outfitting. So you guys are
3: coming up on sixty years.
1: With yeah, yeah, I'm, I haven't been on this planet. Well, I haven't just about on this planet that long. So, uh, but that's kind of when he started. But he was it used to be S. R. Dayton, Sharon Reed Dayton was his name, with Outfitters. When when he, when he brought me in, uh, we obviously I was looking for a you know opportunity to put a spin my spin on it. And we I said you know maybe we can think up a name when we uh, became partners and, and it went to Magic Mountain Outfitters. And then when Lana came in, he says, I, Dad, I think it'd be good if we could you know, move in a direction of something where he's being involved. And, and uh, that's when Crooked Sky Outfitters evolved. And- what was wrong with Magic Mountain? Sounds a Nothing. little spacey. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, it's a well, theme t-
4: park in california
1: <laughs> in many oh. ways in many ways when you ride a horse up there in the mountains it's like a, a theme park ride because it can get pretty wild but uh you know and it's I, magical it, it, it there's there's something magic about the hills and and uh and continues to be but uh, perhaps with landon's uh you know entrance into it that kind of gave an op gave way for an opportunity to, to maybe elevate to something that was a little more updated to, to what people might see and, and envision in a...
3: So where did Crooked fit? Sky, how did uh, well, how did that come about? That's a good question.
2: Well, there's there's kind of a combination of things there. Um, one is is the terrain that we hunt is very jagged. As you stand in the bottom, there's big elevation, you know, climbs that you look up, uh, you know, to the horizon and you see the jaggedness of the mountains. But the other part of it, That we felt like would be beneficial was because of my dad's experience, you know, former in his life um, where he was able to play some roles in some different movies, one of those being Against the Crooked Sky. Um, And so that was part of the, where the name came from as well, that we thought maybe it would give us the ability for people to make that connection um, and want to come and hunt with was a guy that you know that maybe they had grown up watching um as a young man um well, and, and so that was kind of there was a couple different reasons that we decided to to go that direction
0: I like the name though Stuart
2: you yeah. didn't include that in your uh He doesn't uh, like talking uh, about it. He doesn't like talking I about I know
0: that. that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we had to pry it out of him. We uh you know when when we were talking about name change uh we we listed we had probably oh 25 30 names of just, you know, off the brainstorming, uh, time that we did that we wrote down and we just let it sit and stew for a bit. And, and then we actually had family kind of, uh, say weigh in on it to Atlanta's got, uh, five other siblings and, and we kind of talked about, it, let them give some, uh, input and what it boiled down to is, We just thought, well, maybe this is it's the time is, is, is okay i'm I'm far enough past the the window in my age to to have uh maybe lost some of the um recognition uh, but yet i was and i guess i was kind of i've always been a little bit apprehensive about using the the film uh status as a way to promote my success um i wanted to try to do it in a way that i felt like i wasn't cheating anyway because people i wanted people to do it when they when they met me personally that they would feel good about and not feel like well I'm, you know this is a kind of a make believe character you know that he was in these other films and is that how he is today or, or yeah. what that. so i i guess i've always been a little apprehensive about it because i saw how people would treat me differently be, if they knew who i was and i and i uh, i always had my, a little bit of a guard up uh, you know with protecting myself uh, that way saying do they like me because of that or because of who i am yeah. and that was that was probably one of the reasons that i've drugged my feet and drugged my feet about ever using the film status
0: well i think also you're you're uh you're kind of you're like an inherently modest person and you're not boisterous yeah. so it probably makes it feel it's probably awkward it is a I lot mean, of people would never let you forget that
1: well, it's, you know, I, I'll never forget <laughs> the the day somebody asked for my autograph. And I thought, you got to be kidding. Me. I mean, I'm 13. And I thought, what what's a, what's a piece of paper and a name written scratched on there with my name on it? What, what's it really worth? It didn't have any value or I couldn't see any, uh, you know, I, I, in fact, I don't know that I've, to this day, I've ever asked for even the people that I worked with. I had them sign a book. But uh, to, to to go up and ask for any of them for their autograph, well, I just never did it. It just wasn't something that, and I'm sure you guys have had to do a few of those. But for me, I was just, it was an awkward, I just felt as awkward as could be. Um, so in, in uh, you know, in that history, early history as a young boy um, who wanted to be so normal in so many ways, and yet I I was... I wanted to excel in sports and that's what I focused on in high school. And, and, uh, you know, but I, but I f- met the same resistance. I, it was almost like I was a wrestler in high school and, uh, I, I remember a tur- tournament once, uh, we were at, uh, one of the other teams that was there had a guy had, that was in my weight, sent a little, one of his younger buddies uh, in the lighter weights come over to let me know that I would be counting the lights. Pretty quick, what, if I was going to wrestle him. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this guy didn't even know who I was, but yet, because I was a movie star, you know. He's going to whoop you. He was going to whoop me, and, and it was going to be some feather in the cap. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was the same way in football. I, I have, you know. Hold after... on.
3: You have to tell us the resolution of that match. <clears throat>
1: <clears throat> well, we <laughs> met in the championship, and I went out and made him count lights. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> So it was, you know, it was for me that, uh, it kind of fueled the fire. I'm, I was competitive by nature. And, uh, when I got told that, that that was going to happen, I thought, well, you, you dirty bugger, I'm going to show you something <laughs> different. So, you know, it was, uh, and it was a relief because it was, it was a tournament here in town. My, uh, and so I thought, I can't, I can't let this happen in my hometown. So, you know, those are, those are things that, uh that all evolved with the film business. I guess at this point, I I was ready to to say, okay, for the sake of helping my son in this business for, if he's going to be able to carry it on, we've got to build it and and the name is going to have to do it. But I also want to make sure and and recognize that uh, when we're involved in this thing, we have a responsibility to what happens in the outdoors up there. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for it. It's a, it's a very uh very spiritual place for me to be uh pondering who I am how do I treat people am I am I truly a, becoming a better person and consequently our goal is is we hope that uh, when we rub shoulders with good people up there they
0: they improve us and we improve them that Yeah you don't have any reason to be bashful about uh I don't think that that's you know that you got tangled up in doing movies when you were a kid because um, in the mountains uh and out running your business you work incredibly hard and are very focused and extremely knowledgeable and very professional and it's not i wouldn't even get i wouldn't even worry <laughs> about having people be like oh i didn't get you know, what I thought I was gonna get and it's just some Hollywood I mean, come on. That's that, that's, that's just like not it's just not it, but, but it's but, an interesting it's an interesting talking point. It is. I mean and it happened to you when you were very young and you deliberately yeah. walked away from it. I did. Which is interesting. I did.
1: I um it just wasn't in my genetic makeup to wanna be acknowledged because of the film business. Now, if I'd been acknowledged, you know in all of my accolades in, in sports, that would have been fine. And it did happen and it was much more pleasurable, but for some reason, I just was caught up in that. Uh, the thought is I, I don't want the, the film business to, to define me as being impressive in somebody's eyes. I wanted to do it on my own because I think that's what happens with a lot of these guys in the film business is that, uh, all of the attention that they get makes them think that they've done it, you mm-hmm. know, they've arrived and, and and in many t- cases, they, they, their lives become destroyed because they cannot, they cannot accept uh, living, uh, you know, what, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain it, but what I see is, I see it too often where these people who rise to the status of, of star symbol and almost to a, a, a worshipful symbol in many people's eyes, and, and then they can't measure up. They, they find themselves not measure up to, and I think we see a lot of that uh, happen. And, and for some reason, my, my instincts were that I never wanted that to be the reason why I felt good about me. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just wasn't, uh,
0: wasn't the case. Um, oh, you know what, Seth, introduce yourself. Seth Morris. You've been on a thousand times. Yep. Couple, couple times. <laughs> Seth is kind of replacing Yanni because Seth's going to be doing uh, kind of like doing Yanni's job coming up here in South Dakota. That's right. Yeah, Yanni's going on
5: a big Colorado adventure.
3: Yeah, back to Colorado. Not the first. It'll be the second um, <clears throat> meteor episode that I haven't produced since I started producing them. One was I was out for a knee surgery, but this is the first time we're going to do it deliberately.
0: That was a good trip too. Uh, Do you view Seth? Do you view you you be honest? um, (laughs) Do you view Giannis? uh, Do you view Giannis more like a like a mentor or someone you need to knock down? (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) No mentor for sure. So you're not Uh, like I'm gonna.
5: No, I'm not trying to replace Giannis. I'll bust
0: your other knee. You're not thinking that. I'm
5: still trying to learn from him. Okay, good. Yeah,
3: I'm not ready to knock him down. Okay. Um, At some point, the pupil does have to walk away from the teacher. There know?
0: is a thing that someone <laughs> explained to me that happens in a mentorship situation. Is uh, I can't remember who. There's some philosopher, or someone who discussed this. That in a mentor relationship, there's, there's a part of the the mentee, part of the mentee's development. Uh, um, I think it's a necessary part of the development. Is to develop an animosity toward the mentor. Mm. Like I think that that has to happen for that person to mm, to move on. Yeah. You know, so, Seth, give me a heads up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well that just makes me think now i'll be thinking all night we're sharing this uh uh room over here i'll be thinking when is my mentor Stephen ranella when am i gonna gain that animosity no. i <laughs> already have
0: because i just got that big old buck <laughs> <laughs> uh, explain for folks what uh explain for folks like how your guiding business works i mean because there's a thousand ways people guide right you could lease a ranch and and you know, you could own a ranch or lease a ranch, and clients come out and they hunt the ranch. You could, you know, whatever. You got like guys that run bear baits, and so a client comes and they, they hire a guide, and the guide sets them out to watch a bear bait. Just kind of talk like real general terms, people who aren't familiar with Western hunting or guided hunting. Sort of like what is the, the, what is the package you provide, or what is the experience you provide? We're,
1: we're referred to as what is a, a full service guide guided hunt where in which we uh, from the time they arrive with us uh, we uh, and get them into camp we are providing the services of their meals and and uh, their horses their tack uh everything but their personal gear and their license and we take care of that every day during that hunt and uh which means that the hunter we try to to make sure that their horses uh fit them their saddles fit them and uh that saddles are you know in place we're, we're aware of those kind of things because we, we we we've been around the block a little bit now we know that uh, if saddles aren't tightened up that's when inexperienced riders can can get hurt uh because they're not aware of of when the saddle starts to slip what they need to be doing yeah and you're comfortable putting a totally inexperienced rider on a horse on the ones that we have, uh, we don't, we've got some that we know they're just not ready for, for guys that don't know, have, or don't have much horsemanship skill. We just, we have to, we have to know the horses, um, uh, pretty intimately to the extent of knowing where they are and where they are, where they fit in the pecking order of our horses, uh, because that makes a difference. We, we need to know a little bit about the person, well, a lot about the personality, because quite honestly, people and horses can have personalities that clash, and we see
0: that on a regular basis. Uh, Seth's horse uh, would uh, physically assault <laughs> the horse in
5: front of it. My horse was, was, it, was an ass-biter. For sure.
0: Well, and, and some
5: of
1: that's because she's a mare, and uh, and and sometimes the mares have those little nitpicky issues that uh, <laughs> they they like to get after another horse because they are a mare, and 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 that doesn't say anything about womanhood. I'm just saying that that's if you talk to anybody that knows uh, horses, a lot of your people like to use gildings because gildings are way more even keel. Oh, is that right? Um, a
0: castrated male. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, uh, your mares, especially if they're cycling, they can be kind of cantankerous mm-hmm. and they have a hard time dealing with other horses under those conditions. And, and some are just have that kind of a continued, uh, personality like that. And we don't know why, but they, and that's one of the things you have to understand, you know, as you get to know horse flesh a little bit, is that uh, they have a personality just as distinct as people do. They think, Oh, a horse, four legs. They run beautifully, they, you know, they're athletic and this and that, but there's a lot of personality that, that you have to be aware of when you're watching a horse, uh, in your string and how they perform around, uh, different people, we ask people, what's your experience? Now, if they're honest, uh, those that are honest, we can say, well, we've got one that's going to fit the bill. But if we have, if they tell us, well, I've ridden quite a few times and then we put them on a horse that has a little more fire under their tail. <laughs> then they then they get
0: they get kind of intimidated or thinking I'm not as good as I thought I was. Did you know? Did you realize that one of our camera guys, Mike, uh, I feel like he hadn't hadn't he, he had never g-
4: his first time. Did he, did he tell week. you that? Was he up yep. front about that? Yep. Oh, he was up front yep. about
0: that. Yep. And then I've ridden a handful of uh, maybe I get like maybe I get on a horse. I probably don't get on a horse every year, even right. But I've I've had occasion to ride here and there um i would say though and you you'd know better than me i would say that the the topography uh and and the trails and lack of trails <laughs> where you guys ride would have to be that like if you were gonna put like riding on a you know like a one to ten in severity you're like up there. We're up there. Yeah. You'd agree, right? I mean, you're, you're yeah. in the nine. I felt yeah. like we were 10 every day, all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Seth, has a hor- Seth has a horse allergy. So <laughs> Seth has a horse allergy and his horse fell. So he, would like from, he was out from.
2: And I have no experience. And no experience. Well, I think one of the things that we run into is each time we get with new clients, you try to associate and get a feel for what, number one, what their confidence level is, number two, what their experience level is, and then also the, the physical makeup of the individual is another component that we look at. Like, what do you mean? As far as their size. Oh. Um, and we try to, you know, kind of pair them up with a horse that we feel like will work with them, like my dad mentioned, personality-wise, but also in their ability and their stature to be able to carry a person. Um, because a lot of times the horses are more than capable of carrying them, you know, and following the the horse in front, which is typically your guide. Um, and so we try not to put people in a situation where they feel like their life is in danger um, because of their inexperience. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously there is there is that confidence level. We do have certain horses that based on the way they move and the way they travel, they just have the capacity to, to help Uh, settle or um, I don't know, bring a little bit of peace to the people that are riding them. Yeah.
0: Uh, I like it that Giannis took you guys aside and said that if I get hurt, this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> he did. So I got the slowest, <laughs> I got the slowest, most mellow horse in the world, Old
1: man. She, she's a non reactor. She, oh. she really does. <laughs> um, she doesn't get excited about much unless she's in the lead. When I, I used to ride her, I rode her for a couple of years. And uh, she, she was really spooky when she was in the lead because your lead horse is your alarm watchdog yeah
0: you told me that taken off and i and i thought about it watching blue's ears because blue had an opportunity to be out front today you said the lead horse will do its ears different than the horses behind yeah right? Right. they turn them and angle them forward Yep, yep. that was weird to see that she she
1: does that and that and, and they are you know and every horse behind the lead horse is somewhat in a, a ca- more casual relaxed uh feel because they know that if there's something that's going to bugger the front horse, they're a little safer. It's kind of like that old adage about if you're being chased by a bear with your buddy, it's who's the fastest, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to happen. And they they kind of get relaxed in that second position, knowing that the the first one is is the one that's going to take the the hit if something ever happens.
0: Yeah, Seth was saying his horse doesn't like to be first or last. No. Yeah, uh, high heels was when <laughs> <laughs> when when
5: she would be in the back, she would constantly like her head would constantly be off to the side, like to to see looking what was behind, looking her, behind see, her. Yeah, it's and, that, and
1: that's and that's typical of a, of the hind horse as well. They are somewhat the, the watchdog on the back, and so they're they're a little more antsy about what's going to come up and bite them on the butt. Yeah, she did not like that at all. And uh, they th- that's just but the horses in the middle. They're kind of cool. They're, you know, they think, well, the, the front and the Life back, have, good. they've got us covered. Yeah, old,
5: old, Hill, old high heels love the middle. Yeah. She's, she's a middle horse.
2: <laughs> For yeah, sure. That's interesting.
3: You, Blondie, the horse I was riding, she didn't like to be
1: out front too much. She liked to be the second horse. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, and some of that's by nature and some of it's by habit. Uh, you know, you ride a horse enough in the front, they get used to liking to be in the front. Mm. Um. But then there's those, and, and people are the same way. You know, I, I make a lot of, being raised on a ranch, I make a lot of comparisons between cattle and people, and my wife doesn't always appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, that's something I observed, and I thought, yeah, cow, that's just like so-and-so, or that's just like that person. And that's just because you, you see uh, they're not just something that uh, stands out in the field and, and is dumb. They, they have a personality. They have a mind. Um, and so you, you do recognize that. And those are, those are really, those, are, those are important issues in the field to try to help you understand how to be safe. We, when we're shopping for horses to replace, uh, some of our older stock, we're pretty, uh, cognizant of what we see in their eye first, because there's something in the eye of a horse when you look at them and, and, and it, without them really looking at you, but just watching their behavior, you get a sense or feel are they one that trusts people, trust you? Or are they always watching you? Uh, the ones that are always watching you sometimes are the ones that can really uh, get messed up in a, in a string. Uh, growing up, my dad always said, you know, horse, talking about the difference between horses and mules. And, you know, maybe pe- m- people in the mule business uh, have a way different experience. But dad said, you know, a horse will let you actually hurt them into a position of being hurt, um, whereas a mule and, and we had a few mules through the years and they just wouldn't, they flat out, if they thought they were going to get hurt or in a predicament, they weren't going to let you do it. And that's why they'd say stubborn as a mule, they'd lock up. You couldn't get them to do what you thought and you'd get, get on a horse and you can make them do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we see that a lot with, uh, with our animals, uh, there's a trust factor. So we look at, we look at their, you know, not only their physical stature and their, their athleticism, but Landon alluded to the fact that not every horse that you ride that's really good on flat land is going to be good up in, in the hills, it's, it's a different style of balance and, and, uh, between rider and, and slope, um, had the conversation with Adam a little bit about, you know, sometimes why some horses feel like they slip a little bit well. Some of that's due to the rider because of the, the way the rider, uh, balances himself, how, you know, is he working against the horse in, in oh, on, yeah. on a side hill, for instance, we talked about that early on. I, 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 tell my hunters all the time, don't lean into the mountain. I mean, you're just taking a fulcrum point and you, it's, it's like, you're almost asking you mean that getting horse. You spooked and leaning. They get, they get nervous because they're on a
0: side hill. Yeah, we hey, walked, one night after dark, we walked next to a cliff that would have been absolute death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was. It would be, like, yeah? it would be like, if, yep. like, if you went off the cliff, you'd die. Yep. Like, you and the horse would die. And, and, uh, and I sat there wondering, like, what is the horse's sort of awareness of the fact that it would die if it fell off that cliff? And you could definitely feel your body wanting to lean, <laughs> away to like from, lean the horse yeah into a safe direction like a motorcycle. Yeah, and I remember what you're saying is like let the horse balance itself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't
4: the, the same thing happened when when cuz Bandy my horse slipped on some shale one day and slipped on some ice going up a hill and and I've ridden uh a decent amount and had horses when I was young and yet I found myself timid going up the ice. It was pretty steep and it was pretty icy and she was slipping. She felt me being timid, and I was kind of pulling her back, like, whoa, okay, let's go one step at a time. He said one of the horse's best friends are momentum in that case, so I was holding her back from her natural instinct. She's like, dude, I'm going to power this, Adam. It's no big deal. It's just a little icy slope. Let me go i didn't she slipped my fault yeah and from the rest of the trip when he gave me that momentum motivational speech like we'd get to something that i'm like "Uh, oh, it's pretty shaly uh oh, pretty icy pretty snowy I just go yeah you know and just start kicking her and we would just truck up this thing and she had no problem with it and that's a big thing i think too is that whole trust factor at night without our headlamps on it's that same thing right when we're on the side exactly, of the cliffs exactly. it's like this horse can do it let it do it and don't hold it back
0: Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never-ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, meaning, you know, like let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance. Life insurance. With Policy Genius, make that part of your financial planning for the year. i said it before I, a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Y- y- yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. OnX just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings on X hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to hunt and fool who I use for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge and a membership to hunt reminder. So you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out on X hunt research tools free for all on X hunt elite members, not an elite member. Well, let's fix that. Use code meat eater to receive 20% off your membership at onxmapscom slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Explain to people a little bit like, uh, what happens uh, on a trip where in, in terms of sort of to get out to your camp, like the length of ride and then, and then what you arrive at.
2: Well, basically from Cokeville, what we do is we drive two hours by truck. Um, from that point we trailhead out and, and we ride from the trailhead another seven miles on horseback through a variety of up and downs and, and, and some, st- some steeper country. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely one of those things when we're hunting, you're staying on the mountain till dark and you're typically leaving in the dark from camp. And so you spend a lot of time and can spend a lot of time on the horse in the dark. And, and so people can get intimidated by that, wondering if their horse can actually even see if they're going to be able to follow the trail. And so the tendency for a lot of people is to put their headlight on, which in, in actually impedes the ability of the horse to see mm mm-hmm. um, that's a
0: that's a i
2: know that that's true
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a difficult thing for me me it, too that was that i was, would do it at times but at times i had to turn my light on
2: <laughs> well it was a it's a trust issue i um, mean that's it was what it's like it a little bit of a
0: sanity issue <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> i guess we were in that trail so many times sometimes
0: in, the dark. in some of those darker timber patches yep. it really is it's it is no different then, when you're in a roller coaster and it goes through the dark tunnel.
4: Yeah,
2: and you can't see your hand but in
0: front
4: of But they might not face. have a tree branch at eye level on the roller <laughs> coaster. The thing. <laughs> on the trail, there could be tree branches at eye level. Yeah, like Walt
0: Disney doesn't like hold a, a, a spruce bough like out of, yeah, as you're going through the tunnel and slap you in the face of the thing. If I had multiple people in front of me and they weren't going, ow, ow, then I'm like, cool, man, I'll turn my light off. Yeah. But when I'm out, when I happened to be in front for a little bit, I couldn't let my. I, 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 I theoretically I understood. I was like the horse will stay on the trail, but I couldn't bring myself to do it.
2: Well, so I, I needed
0: to know if I was going to get smacked in the face.
2: When I rode out the other night, Saturday night, when I left the trail or left camp at about ten thirty at night, um, I would periodically turn my light on to look back and check the pack horses I was leading out to make sure the packs were square. Every time I turned my light on to look back they would stop because they couldn't see anymore. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, like I just knew that I needed to shut my light off and, and just periodically check, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it shows the fact that it does impede their ability to continue to see.
0: Yeah, you're uh Stuart, you kind of I don't even want to call it passive aggressive. Uh I was out <laughs> front one at one moment. I went up in front for a minute and I had my lamp on and uh you'd said to me, Isn't it amazing? How they can find their way in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> shot it took to mean turn your headlamp.
2: Off. <laughs> uh you guys camp. So your camp's out in the national camp in a national forest. Yep. It's all public. Um, and so, you know, really the, the thing that sets us apart is to be able to get back in that backcountry and, and, and get away from the public because there's a lot of people that don't want to go to the effort of getting back there. Um, and so we rely on the horses to do that for just, us. Just a matter of tra- i mean, not of transporting gear, but transporting game. Oh yeah, you knock something down seven miles. Who wants to pack an elk out and have to make four trips?
0: And it's not going to be and just going down.
2: Yeah, it's not just a downhill. You got up and down, and you're climbing an elevation of probably two thousand feet at any given point. Mm-hmm. So, and and then you
0: so it's our national forest, but you guys have. Um, a, you have an arrangement with the National Forest. We have a, a special use permit that, mm-hmm.
1: uh, that we have you know, the rights to for a period of time, and then we can renew that. Uh, for instance, we just renewed ours this year, uh, which will be good for another eight years. Okay. Um, and then they periodically you know, go over things. They want to make sure you're abiding by the rules that uh, are set out by the Forest Service to uh, be able to run a camp uh, and do it right. We're governed kind of by two bodies the uh, where we're hunting on the forest service ground. And we have some, we hunt on, on some other, uh, uh government grounds, but, uh, speaking of the forest service, um, we, we fill a report out to them, uh, every year at, at the year's end saying what we had for clients, uh, how many days they were on the forest and, um, uh, and we pay a fee and, and, uh, oh, so the, that's for, where the fee comes into place is how much you're using it. We, we, we pay a, a flat rate fee for the campsite, oh, and see. then okay. and then we pay a percentage of, of the gross income oh, you at do? the end of the year. Oh. Uh, and then we're governed also certain uh, as far as the outfitter license, which I hold uh, for uh, Crooked Sky Outfitters. Um they kind of govern us as well, making sure that we're abiding by the laws, the game and fish laws, and uh, as well as the the Forest Service, uh, you know, responsibilities that we have there.
0: And what you have, the infrastructure you have, is pretty light. So you have a a, a small corral, which is largely just composed of brush and log yep i gathered at one time it was a sight to behold
1: yeah at one time the you know the snows uh, get pretty deep up there and and uh, break down your fences uh, that we had a buck and pole uh, corral fence uh, all the way around but uh, the snows have since dilapidated that and sometimes we'd never had the time to go up because it takes a lot of energy to try to drag dead lodgepole pine from off the mountain there you know 200 feet or 200 yards or 300 yards up that drag it down and uh, it's been probably twenty years since we uh, did the corral initially like that so it's lasts a long time but uh, it is as you can see uh, you know the weather has worn it the horses' crib on it and, and you see poles break after that but uh, you know that's that's one of the things and, and we've appreciated uh at least the the forest service department that we work with out of camera they've been good people to work with and and have uh, been been very helpful and um we've been grateful that we've had that fortunate first of all that uncle sharon uh, was able to get that camp back in the, the early 60s uh even when he didn't use it that much back then and it wasn't until i came in that we started to really use that upper camp because we have a we have a lower base camp and uh, that was accessible by the, and still is accessible by vehicle um so but i've always been in the upper camp and so I've always enjoyed the, the aspect of what we have there. It's a lot more work because we have to pack all our feed in by by horses. We have to you know make sure that we've uh, got that feed in because it's a long ways to go back and get feed if you don't have quite enough. Um, you know. Yeah, you but, don't
0: you don't graze your horses out. You don't pasture your horses. We don't pasture out on the forest land. We don't. You Got to bring in your food. We we bring the food in and and
1: uh, and so it's it it's. Just, It's a pretty labor intensive, uh, you know, we often say it's a labor of love what we do and it truly is because we all know that when, when you really love something that you do as hard as it is and physically demands is, it's not something you despise because it's work. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you just say, I I love what I do. Every job has its, uh, I call it grunt work jobs, you know, stuff that you just don't like to do. Uh, but we like doing
0: just about everything of it, even though it's physical it's it's demanding them yeah and you have a you have a corral you have a cache you guys built out a beetle kill pine where you can put some stuff over a year then you have a tarp structure for your tack yep then you have a couple tent platforms we did we set up wall tents on those tent platforms and put wood stoves in there
1: we used to have uh, the, the wood floors with uh with the lodgepole pine frames that we could just pull our tents over and then we'd put the tents away, and and then the you know the frames would stay up, but those frames would, uh, would often be caved in the next spring, when we'd ride in, and we'd have to rebuild. And so uh, it's been probably what ten or so years ago, close probably. to ten years, eight eight to ten years ago that we, uh, I decided to, uh, to see if I couldn't get approval from the Forest Service to redo the floors, you know, like they were, only uh, make them structured a little little more sound, and then. Yeah, because
3: I noticed today that you guys had uh, they're put on tubes. Did you guys we, pour we, those we, there? Or we were they we hauled, we
1: no we we packed in uh, cement and and we poured uh, the concrete columns. Um, we couldn't put any rebar because that was an agreement that you know we wouldn't do was oh, that rebar, right? Put a rebar in? Yeah, I was there.
0: looking at those. I was looking at those. I always call them pilings. What do you call them? Well, the Other columns. The cement columns. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So that made it possible for us to, to, you know, build the floor a little more stable because they do have a footing, you know, we, we enlarged the footing with the sauna you know, below the sauna tube um i'm sorry i'm I'm dense what is the word you're saying sauna tube is a cardboard uh form sauna sauna i'm
4: picturing like a hot room with wood it's a a, lot of s-o-n-o
1: yeah it's probably like calling a tissue a kleenex right it's the it's It's a brand name so not sauna so it's a it's a s-o-n-o kind of a cardboard type uh no i'm super
0: familiar with them i just never heard that term yeah sauna tube okay
1: and and so that's what we were they were willing to let us uh to do that to you know Improve the the look and the the campsite, but then I asked them if we could if we put a metal frame in there. So I I got some and they they approved that and we got uh, yeah. But I mean you could have the whole thing down in an hour. Right. Yep. And and so we we've got the metal conduit frames that uh, that allow us to be able to pull those tents on there and just makes a camp comfortable campsite
4: and a bigger stainless sink.
1: A stainless sink and wood stoves. The stainless
4: yep. sink came in on a horse, right? Five a, foot?
1: A, on a big mule. Five foot. Stainless <laughs> sink. It's, it's actually eight foot long. Three bays.
4: Eight. Okay. Three three
1: <laughs> three uh, sink bays in it, and then a a, a drying rack uh, on the end.
0: And you're saying the mule that carried it in couldn't lift his head up all the way because he had that thing on him. <laughs> it had uh, it had that on the, on the...
1: We'd raise it up on... We're packing in some cots, and we put those in some hard panniers, and... We were able to elevate it off the, the top of her head there. She couldn't raise it up all the way. She had to walk with her head about shoulder level the whole way. <laughs>
4: For seven miles. And I she, remember
5: walking in the tent the first time and saw that. And I was like, now how did that get here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, see, she uh, she was a good old meal. mule. it's that, uh, an old, we called her Molly. She was just uh, the fact Landon was four years old when I put her, put him on her and she just took care of him. She tried to brush him off on, under pine boughs every once yeah. so in a was while. Was she really big? She was a big mule. She I, was, well, I used
4: a mule last year that was ginormous, and her name was Molly. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, probably yeah. her. Was she brown? <laughs> she <laughs> no, she's dead. She
1: was, she's dead. She's, she was oh. about 30 when she died. No, so.
4: th- it'd be a different mule then.
1: Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like <laughs> a, She'd been around the block. We packed her uh, out of a, you know, in fact, if we had real steep terrain to pack a, an elk out or a mule deer, we usually took her. Is
0: it true that people tell me this all the time? Is it true that a horse or a mule will deliberately go under a sweeper to try to dislodge the rider? Or is it just that it knows it can fit and it doesn't think about whether or not there's a rider who's going to get dislodged? I think there's a little of both.
1: I I watched Landon with Molly, and and uh, she deliberately would walk close to trees. The trail wasn't under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> she would deliberately walk under it, and he'd just kind of lay back, and then he'd pop up like one of those little uh, blow up things that uh, he'd come right back up in the saddle there, like you know that was no big deal, and he'd just ride around some more. But I watched her, and, and it was very deliberate. Um, and I've seen it with other horses. I've I've ridden horses that have. Seem to be a little more deliberate in their approach to, rather than going around the tree, even when the trail was taking you around, they shortcut it. Yeah. And, uh, so they're, they're a little smart in what you think. I've seen some funny things. I, I saw a hunter, uh, we'd seen some elk and we were galloping up the hill. Cause I'd kicked my horse into into a gallop and we were, it wasn't a steep hill, but it was enough that we had some momentum going and, and he was the last guy and he wasn't hadn't had no control of that horse. And she took him under a great big dug fir that had, there was a pine bough that would have been probably about, uh, oh, three inches across, hanging out from the tree at least 12 to 14 feet. And it was low enough at saddle horn height. When she went underneath that and that started, and the flex of that finally could only go so far it just catapulted him off the back of the horse it was it was a cartoon uh, to behold because it just it blew him right off the back of the horse all the other guys were laughing at him he wasn't too too excited about that but they will i mean they in that case i don't think the horse was thinking i'm going to get the rider off i'm am just trying to catch up with the rest of the group and he didn't uh, he wasn't right directly behind and, and that guy didn't control the horse so he ended up in the pine bow
0: you know catapult (laughs) region but once we set out to start hunting i felt like you you probably did do this i felt like you kind of wanted to work close first and then as the days go on you kind of gradually start doing bigger forays out into
2: well and where our camp is situated i think we have some of the prime hunting just within a very short ride i mean you're talking right above camp you're hearing elk bugle. You're seeing deer within a 10-minute ride of being outside of camp, and we've even spotted deer from camp. Um, and so that's one of the great things of where we're located is that you have that nucleus, if you like, mm-hmm. um, where you can just branch out. And then we know there's other country out there that we can go out, and and if we needed to, like we did this trip, to try and see if we couldn't find. I mean, we saw plenty of bucks. We just needed to see what else was out there and if we could find you know, that one big buck that was hanging out that was just maybe on the perimeter. But that's the the definitely the, the benefit of where we're at.
0: Yeah, that first day out, when Adam and I rode off with Stuart, I mean, we must, uh,
4: I think we saw 14 bucks or something like that. 14 bucks, I think, was that the day 30, 40 elk and two bears?
0: Yeah, it was, well, undis- yeah, it was undisturbed. Like it was undisturbed. It was the yeah. opening day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we didn't go far, and there was just deer, 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 deer. Yeah.
4: And in the middle of it, getting distracted by elk bugling and all the other cool things out there, And chasing after a bear. Oh, man. Yeah, we saw a bear and decided to go run it down on the side of a, you know, pretty rocky hill and go after it. But, yeah, I mean, that was all. Well, we went a pretty good distance even that first day, though. Yeah. Didn't we? I mean, we went.
0: It was fun seeing that many deer, though. It was.
1: Well, and the other thing uh, that we 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 feel like, I mean, they sense your presence and, uh, we don't like to just, you know, keep it so tight that perhaps it makes it that much more difficult, but it also gives the hunter another perspective, uh, because you can see, uh, maybe from where you went the day before country back, looking back on some of the country, you were a little better angle in which you experienced because of the fact that we, had been there a couple different times, looking off in that same spot, but because of our perspective, we
0: could not see everything that was below us. You know what's funny about that spot is the first time we went there, um, you were talking about how bucks like to lay on this cliff face. It's a cl- not a cliff face, but a cl- very, very st- yeah full of avalanche shoots and finger and fingers of timber and rocky. And you're like, they like to lay here, um, and you started creeping along, peering over the edge, and Adam said to me, "I I do gather they like to lay here, based off Stuart's like Stealthy very room. intense focus down the <laughs> hill, you know. It was, it was like you're like expecting to find one, Which, and then lo and behold,
4: that's where you shot your buck. Man. Yeah,
0: but that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Is we twice At crept least. along, twice crept along that." glassing down those avalanche chutes and seeing deer laying here and there on it. And possibly twice, because he was a little bit farther down, possibly maybe twice walked past the buck that I got. But then it wasn't wasn't until we then went around to peer back onto that hillside. And then it wasn't even like, we I, I sat down landing to start glassing that hillside between snow squalls. And I didn't even have my tripod set up, and he'd it's like, buck, you know. There's a buck, like, and I was like, man, one of our camera guys lost his sunglasses about fifty <laughs> yards from that buck, you know. <laughs> uh, but looking back on it, was interesting because there he was,
1: and that's and that's what's kind of fun about it. it it's difficult country from the pers- uh, perspective of not being able to see it in in a clear, concise, uh, imaginary way of saying. This is how I would imagine it would have played out. And then you get on, you know, you go around on the other side, looking back and you can see where timber, the lay of the land, how the timber and the shadows fall on it. You say, now I can see why we didn't see as many or see that buck there because he was able to hide in such a fashion that uh, we couldn't see him from above. He could only be seen from the angle down below or yeah. on, on another on i other don't
0: want to give away too many of you guys trade secrets but in the daytime in the warm part of the day or in the midday you guys like to be up looking down a face knowing that it's so steep that the deer are going to bed basically they're bedding up against trees they dig out little beds and they're on the top Usually side of on the, the tree. top side yeah and you're not going to see them from across but then in the mornings or evenings, you can go around and peer back onto the hillside when they might be on their feet. Yep. But in the daytime, you'd like to be... or At bedding time, you'd like to be peering straight down.
4: And what that meant in this terrain was often several miles and several thousand feet of elevation. Yeah, you don't just down. go running over there. No, it's not like, <laughs> oh, let's go to the bottom now. Like, you know, yesterday or whenever that was, day before, I guess, when, with Giannis' buck. I mean, it was three miles around to get to where we could see you know, from that other angle. So with the terrain, it means a lot of moving, but it's either that or nap midday, which I know you do like, Steve.
0: I like it under certain conditions. Um,
4: When you can't be productive during that noon hour.
0: And when it's very nice and warm. (laughs) (laughs) I took one, like this this week, I took one 10-minute nap. That's all I got, one 10-minute.
4: Giannis, how many did you have? At least three good ones. (laughs) Like being one period of time.
3: Oh, good nap for me is like ninety minutes plus. <laughs> the very first day we were out, we were probably at pushing two and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was with was landing.
0: Good. It was good. just laid low. Just south. Well, it got slow. hot,
3: you know, and it kind of, you know, the action died down, and but we did end up seeing a lot of
4: bedded bucks this week, didn't? Yeah, we? Yeah,
0: for sure, man. Finding yeah. bedded bucks that's yeah. especially exciting. It is. Yeah. We one time uh, had a did a did an episode of our show where. I crept, crawled up on, and shot a bedded antelope and got a handful of emails. People all riled up about that. It's not sportsman-like. I'm like, you go creep up on a bedded down antelope. <laughs> yeah. then come tell me it's not sportsman-like. Yeah. It's not easy to creep no. up on them.
4: Well, yeah, and there's that argument, too, of like, like hey, wouldn't somehow, you like to die in your sleep? Yeah, like it's so. somehow
0: better to shoot yeah. one that's staring at you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's exactly, and that's why, you know, like... Uh, the day that, uh, Adam shot his buck, we had decided to let, and I call it to get off and do an Indian hunt because I respect their, their method of how they had to hunt in the early day. They had to, they had to sneak up on things and get close yeah. And get close. Didn't they, didn't they, have, didn't, uh, they didn't have these high power powered, scopes, didn't yeah. have the high powered rifles nor, or uh, good binoculars to, to really help their cause. And so everything was very stealth driven. Mm-hmm. And and I like that style of hunt where you go into a patch of timber that you know is a place where they bed down on a regular basis, and you're you're matched with their sense, their keen sense of smell and hearing, um, and whatever the other sense that they have. That seems to, if they sense danger, they're out of there.
3: Will you try? Will you try to pull off? I just I just call it a still hunt. Will you try to pull that off with a client in tow?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've done that. I, in fact, I'll put them in front of me. Oh, really? And I'll just say. Then you'll say, "Hey, back up," because you missed the deer. I'll I'll just say, (laughs) I'll I'll say, we're going to walk just a couple steps quietly, and we're going to glass, and we're going to glass, and then we'll make a few more. So it takes you a long time to get through a patch of timber, but uh, you know, I've noticed through the years, and depending on the terrain. Um, I've always been amazed at how an animal will see you coming and, and are blowing out the timber when you're thinking, God, I didn't even see them. Well, that's because their eyeballs are usually down, you know, at maybe knee height because they're bedded down. And, and that's where a lot of your, your brush sometimes in, at least in our terrain is, is less. So they see your leg movement
0: and you can't see them.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's absolutely critical if you're going to go in there. Yeah, your head's
0: up in the fur needles and stuff and they're exactly. looking. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And they're seeing low. So they see that movement and that's something that is, is a set off to them, even though there may be no scent, it's something different and it alarms them. And so you, I, I, I like the challenge because when you go through like that, uh, if you're going to just march, parade through a patch of timber and think you're going to to get a buck, uh,
0: the buck's really got to
1: be tired and sleepy. Yeah. Uh, you know,
0: it occurred to me just while we're having this conversation that of the three deer we got, um, we got them using three very different methods. We got one sort of like the one I got was like very, like very textbook spot and stalk, like spot it from way off while we're like sitting there and intentionally glassing a distant hillside, crept up on it, and you know sniped it from a ways off. And then Adam got one still hunting, creeping through the timber. And then Yanni got one in a classic, almost like deer drive. Not almost. Classic. Classic deer was, drive. Well, I just always say almost, because like more deer drives don't happen on a 45-degree angle. I was angle. just about to say, <laughs> anybody
4: can say classic unless you're the one driving with Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to unpack mine? Yeah. Let's do, and then we... Yeah, I'll no, talk about that. each story. We, You know... You and I, Steve, were came around on this hill where we knew there was a bunch of timber, and you were going down. What, what were you told maybe three hundred yards below me?
0: Yeah, can I can I stop? Yeah, from, uh, then, I'm, then I'm gonna let you just kay. go. Okay. Have you heard the term still hunt? Me? No, I, no. I have,
1: I have, but I guess i you know through the years I've. Just, I, I
0: don't, I'm not I'm not taking offense. I'm not taking offense that that saying an like an Indian hunt, but I mean. In the east, you call it a still hunt. Yeah, and it means like going. I remember my dad writing a letter to the editor because a guy wrote an article. He he had the letter. The letter to the editor was published, and he kept it in his office. Where a guy wrote an article describing his still hunting strategy, and my dad calculated that by the end of the day he would be fifty yards from his truck. Because <laughs> his description that he takes a step and waits five minutes or whatever, my dad got to think, well, he wouldn't make it. Anywhere, <laughs> but uh, so you have heard the term. I have heard the term still hunt. I always thought it was misleading because you're not being still. Like you, think, like how is sitting in a tree stand not still hunting? Yeah, yeah, you're still. No one's going anywhere. But it means to still hunt means to not be still.
4: Well, right. and then be still and then not be still yeah. off and on. Yeah, I think the way I've always
3: uh, twisted it to make make it make that term make sense to in make, my to, head.
0: To, to tw- yeah, it's a good way of putting it.
3: Is that you move in such a way
0: that if something looks at you, it would perceive you as being still. That's what you had to do to make that make sense. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Okay, go ahead, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: just,
0: I, just wanted get, I wanted to get—I wanted to get into—I I wanted to get into the nomenclature a little bit.
4: So yeah, so we we headed into this patch of timber, knowing a few different things. Number one, if we were to spook a buck, you got to be ready, like really quick. Sometimes. What that means is you got to be ready with your rifle really quick. So whether it's slung on your shoulder, holding it in your hand. Number two, you may not have a lot of time to judge its size. And that makes it a little bit more challenging as well. But it also brings about a different sort of adrenaline. You know, when you just boom, it's right there. And what am I going to do in that moment?
0: Yeah, you feel all of a sudden, you feel very present.
4: Yes. And, And it also, even right when you hop in the brush or the timber at that moment even though you have no clue if there's a deer in there or where the deer is, you feel like you're stalking something and you have that, that like, okay, let's be real quiet. You know, you just, even to yourself, and I'm going to go because there's probably one right here and there's probably one, so it, it's kind of exciting. You know yep. I mean? Uh, you can't nap while still hunting.
0: Yeah, and then also Stuart was pretty precise. He's like, you go that far, you go that far, Wait. I will meet you over here.
4: Is this getting into zones? <laughs> no no no, no I'm, not, I'm not gonna get into you i'm not gonna get into you strain we'll get there at the end. Get into
0: the no. <laughs> zone
4: so it was i was gonna be at the top steve you were gonna be at the bottom near nearer to where there was kind of an open bench and so so i went in towards the top and there was all sorts of sign in there both elk and deer um and bear actually it was the same area that we'd seen the black bear two days before and it was a bear track in the snow fresh and it had snowed that morning is when it snowed i believe yeah uh, this was day three of our hunt so we'd gone day one day two we'd seen uh, a lot of bucks every day uh, they'd all been small nothing i don't believe wider than their ears on those first couple days and so we kind of uh, punched in there and yeah saw the bear heading the same direction that i was heading with what would have been in the last five to six hours a bear had been through there in that same direction Came through a, lot, a whole lot of elk sign, a whole lot of deer sign, a lot of beds. Uh, beds were everywhere in there. You, I mean, the smell was there. So all your senses, I mean, it's fun, you know. I mean, all your senses, you're seeing tracks, you're doing all these things. And uh, it, it, so, you know, it was awesome. So we get to the middle of probably this section. And I'd put, you know, a, a on X where Stuart was going to be at the end, you know, a little, put a little waypoint where we were going to all meet up. And so really kind of side-hilling. All of a sudden, stepped in this open area in the middle of this timber where there's probably 50 yards of clearing and there was a buck standing there and probably stood there for a second or two and then trotted off a period of three to four total seconds not enough to get my glass up not it wasn't that far though at the same time not enough to get my rifle scope up you know it was just like there, there's a deer that you know you're just kind of taking off guard and he didn't stand there for a long time like sometimes they might do and I was surprised, to be honest, that we were able to sneak up on him like we did. He was on the other edge of this kind of little open meadow. You feel that when you spotted
0: him, he had probably just stood up. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yep. Yeah, definitely. There, Because when we walked over there, a couple minutes later, there was a bed right there. Oh, okay. So I, decide, I decided, I'm like, usually if you bump a deer in that case, the deer's gone and okay, let's keep going through. And then I'm like, oh, now he probably just went through and bumped the whole stinking you know side of the hill and everything's going to be gone
0: yeah you don't generally decide to go and check out where it went
4: but i did did. well i I just said i i wonder if i knew in that case in the midst of timber there's no way on earth you'd ever in a million years gonna be able to catch that buck right i mean one in a million but i said if there's an open clearing we could kind of i could kind of truck through this timber and maybe see it going up a clearing and it stops broadside for a second looks back at you right that sort of thing and so pulled up the map and kind of looked along there and saw quarter mile, half mile, something like that, further down this hill, uh, you know, side-hilling it, so further in the direction I was already going to be going, but slightly down, a little towards the border of my zone and your zone, Steve.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. Close to that border, but <laughs> uh, not across it. You, just, just, so, just, to, be, just to be clear. Yes, i found you
4: wait wait i'm I'm, not getting there yet
0: i'm working the lower end
4: which is where my dear went
0: i found you well below me
4: (laughs) i got on a hunt i was hunting it was fair chase and i was chasing you went
0: you went into like a third zone that hadn't been discussed it was lower
4: than my zone that's correct that's correct i cannot confirm nor deny so (laughs) <laughs> basically i go down through here and i, I kind of went up higher at first thinking i'd look down because i thought the angled direction that the buck did leave was more down in the in the same direction that i had been going and so anyways i get to where this clearing is and i, I get to look out in the clearing and there's no buck but as i look towards the left down the hill i see the rack through the trees with my bare eyes it was 125 yards away it was hard to range because it was through the trees. And if I moved my head three inches or six inches to the right, left, up, or down, like I'd lose the deer. It was one of the, you know, when you just zone in and it was like- you Got your window. Eyeball to eyeball with the window, me looking straight at this deer, straight on. I could see it was wider in its ears and it was wider than anything we see. I couldn't see due to all the trees and branches. It couldn't see the forest, couldn't see more, you know, about thickness, etc. So I stopped and stared at this buck, and got on my binos, and the buck didn't move, didn't blink, didn't twitch an ear, and just stared right at me. And it's crazy when you talk about, Stuart, how the deer can see you, because I, I felt pretty lucky that I saw this deer through this window, and it obviously saw me right away. And so I'm looking through this thing, and I put up the binos, and I'm just wanting him to turn his head so I can get a, a clear look from the side. Wouldn't turn his head, wouldn't move, things straight on. And then uh I ended up picking up my rifle. And, and the thing is it was at that type of height where I couldn't, I like, certainly couldn't go prone. I couldn't sit down, and I have that tripod, you know, and it can go up and down or whatever and uh that I can use as sticks. Uh if I was standing like at a regular standing height, number one over a hundred yards, I don't like to do freestanding, especially with the visibility there. It was a crouching position. It was like the most awkward position uh, that you can have is this crouching position is the angle I could see the deer at. I knew if I left this window, the deer was gone. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there and I get my stick. It must have looked like the most uncoordinated setup because I'm like this, my feet kind of kept falling. And so I get the rest and I have the crosshairs on the deer, but I can only see kind of from the chest up, half the chest up and it's looking straight on. And so at that point, I knew the thing... I was hoping the thing would turn and then I'd have maybe a second or two for it to step across, maybe a wide enough clearing, maybe it's body length and for me to judge its antlers and pull the trigger. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking, but you know how it is. Once you have your crosshairs on the animal, once the animal's looking at you, I can see it's wider in its ears. I even turned to my cameraman behind me who was with me and said, oh, I'm, I'm going to kind of wait and see. And I was like talking to him and just wrestling it through in my mind yeah as soon as he turns his shoulder i'm gonna gauge it well sure enough i finally get in position and it it had been minutes of just a direct stare off right there and the deer turns presents its shoulder and i just pulled the trigger i just it was that instinct of like there's the shoulder there's the crosshairs through the trees and uh down it went in that one shot and uh so I run around, even kind of just leave my packs and my spotting scope out and everything kind of on the ground steep hill and, and I just because of the brush, I wanted to kind of get over to the side to just see see what was going on. what had happened, but I could see that the thing just went straight down, and, and sure enough it 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 didn't move but five or ten feet um, from where we found it and walked up on the buck and uh, started taking some you know, some pictures and whatnot kind of before we'd gutted it out and celebrating, and, and it, it, I, honestly, you know, I'd, I'd been looking probably for a, a larger buck, but in that moment, it was the end of day three, and we hadn't seen any shooter bucks yet, and I just said, oh, let's get something on the ground, and I was, you know, I didn't wait eight years. It was time. It's a general tag for me. I'm like, I'll just come back next year if I want to. Yeah. This guy's got to wait till like, my kids are grown and married and probably have children before they can come again. <laughs> so then I recover the buck, and then all of a sudden – I see Steve walking clearly into my zone. Yeah. Coming down. Head downhill.
0: Headed <laughs> downhill. And Stuart,
4: and they'd both heard the shot and, uh, and came up. And it was, I would say, probably pretty close to your zone, Steve. It was. But it had traveled, like, I'd spotted it well in my zone. Yes. And so I don't know where that is in a book of hunting tactics, but... Uh,
3: no, I think if you're on a hot trail, you get to just yeah. bust zone. I think,
4: okay, how, do you, how often do you bump a deer while steer, still hunting, look at something on a map, go and find it, and shoot it?
0: But I would have shot that bug had I come across it.
4: Yeah? Yeah, yeah. sure, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: Day so, three.
0: It was day, was it day three or day
1: four? Was the end of, it was the afternoon day of
4: day three, about two thirty three o'clock. Which, incidentally,
1: uh, just a point that I hadn't thought about, all of the bucks we shot this week were in the evening, early evening hours. That's a good point. Yeah. mm well, yeah.
0: You right. Uh the the uh, the one I got it's an interesting story but the the the, the highlight of my trip um besides me to you guys and watching you work with the horses and 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 all that which is really educational. Uh the highlight of my trip was something I glimpsed and it's it's words don't really do it justice but uh when we're out hunting you know, there there's a there's a lot of deer around and we have a long time. And we're all admirers of uh, big mule deer. So we're trying to find, you know, mature bucks with big racks on them. Uh, and then kind of wrestling with this equation of how much time do you have left, right? And I'm like, I'm definitely going to get a buck. So I'm going to wait and I'll wait, but I'm not going to wait too long. And Giannis is like, I'm willing to go home with no buck. I'm going to keep waiting. And you know, you're wrestling all this out in your head. And meanwhile, you're looking at, you're always seeing deer. And so every time you see a mule deer's rump, through the timber or wherever it is um no matter what i mean you got to sit down and assess that thing and see what it is like is it a buck is it a big buck and there was a time i, I was i think i was with, yeah i was with stewart i can't remember who else is there but i was with you and we i think you had spotted a deer in some timber and then i started looking in there and and we started to put together there's three of them in there and We see two of them. We see there's just two little ones. And there's a third one. We're waiting for the third one to reveal itself. And one of these other boxes, he'd stepped into a spot where he's just got the bright sunlight on his rump. And they really shine. And the buck that I was waiting to see, I couldn't see him at all now. He's completely behind a tree. But all of a sudden, I see the most perfect shadow of his rack on the sunlit buck to the point where I was like, oh, it's a three by three. Because its shadow was like someone doing like finger puppets on a <laughs> bedroom wall blasted against this deer. And it lasted like this fleeting glimpse, but it was the most bizarre thing I've seen in a while. It's like a perfect. Like I didn't even need to stick around to let him come out of where he was hiding because of how perfectly shadowed his uh deal was. But the day I got the buck I got, we kind of scoured around a fair bit. And it was real snowy. And it kind of strange thing, this really fortuitous series of events happened where we saw a doe. Or we saw a deer. And by the time we could set up a spotting scope, this the uh, the snow picked up so bad you couldn't see. So you we went and hid out in some trees to get out of the wind. Made a little fire. And it got clear and the minute it got clear. We're right, like, well, let's go run down and look at the hillside we were trying to go look at. And I'm still set up my spotting scope, and Landon's like, there's deer that looks like a buck. I set up my spotting scope. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a nice, I mean, I think it was the nicest buck we saw the whole trip. I'm like, that's a nice buck. And I remember you had said, uh, quote, what a stud. And so, <laughs> of, of the buck, not me. <laughs> and it was, I not was it like 900 yards away or something yeah. like that? It was quite a yep. quite a ways away. And all of a sudden, uh, our our camera guy, Lauren, remarks like, man, is there a squall headed our way? And I look up the mountain and just like this wall of white is coming. And this wall of white, and it was fog, intense wind, and a lot of snow just engulfs us. And Landon and I kind of look at each other like, you know, we could walk over there. Like, this buck would never know. And we literally just ran through a whiteout, arrived at where we were, like, below the buck. The whiteout is so strong that we were able to pick which sort of tree would be best to hang out at, hunkered down, then eventually you could kind of see the base of the hill. Then you could make out some timber. Then it cleared, and just there's the buck, 250 yards away.
2: Well, Nothing I mean, works out like that. It was perfect. I mean, the wind, <laughs> we kept watching the wind to make sure that the, our wind was right. And uh, the whole situation was just a perfect uh, a perfect stalk, and it couldn't have been any better because we caught him right in that window between the snowstorms. Oh, yeah. And then we were able to use the snowstorm as our cover to then get within a range where he didn't even know we were there because we had a bare hillside with open pockets that we needed to be able to get through to get down to him. But then the snow also helped muffle the noise, oh, so that,
0: you know, the, the and wind and everything. And yeah. then it got like beautifully calm. And the other thing that we both observed later that never happens is we had a landmark, which was yeah. the shiny white, <laughs> the shiny tree. Snag. Yep. Uh, and a lot of times you'll kind of move away and your landmarks cease to make sense. Yep. But we got up and as it started to clear, we were in agreement like, that's the tree. Yep. Yep. And then lo and behold, like the bark was under the tree. It was nothing. I mean, not nothing ever works out that way. But that was one of the more amazing. That's
4: how good Crooked Sky is. They can call in squalls he, so you yes, can make a stop. A, he yes. summons a squall.
1: That's <laughs> uh, right. He summoned a squall. I, I wish we had that kind approach. of power uh, <laughs> sometimes.
0: But uh,
4: so how and how far was that? How far did you get then when you stopped? Was it two something?
0: We we stopped and hunkered down and waited for the weather to clear. And when the box stepped, I mean, he. St- I say he stepped out, but. <laughs> he stepped, yeah, he stepped out. We, we couldn't see him and all of a sudden there he was, 256 yards.
3: Nothing ever works out quite like that unless Stuart says, I've got a plan. Let's drive this piece of timber <laughs> yeah. up here at 10,000 feet on the side of this shale mountain. And you just go and sit down at the end of the shale mountain and wait for a buck to come to you.
0: Your word for it doesn't give away your spot. That's your own personal term for it? Or do oh. people know it as that? Well, I think they know it. you
1: said, huh? Uh, You know, I... I don't know that we we uh we gave it a name uh but I don't think there's any name on a map like that, but we gave- gave it a name of dangling Gardens because <laughs> you're you're virtually hanging when you're coming around <laughs> through oh, that patch God. of timber you're grabbing for any kind of pine bough to keep you <laughs> upright because it's just it, uh, it's really steep on the on the side slant with rock and and uh it it's a workout it'll have you in a lather. Just in a, in a, in about a half a mile, you
4: know, hike. I you're. tripped 11 times <laughs> and slid downhill on that drive for you. Jonas. You had a little counter, you pressing the button every time. Yeah. My, my film guy just kept laughing. And then on the way back, he kept doing it. That was, and that's the thing, man. So much respect for you, Stuart, of, of the, I mean, the physical nature. We talk a lot about horseback, but I mean, that, that day, uh, that you shot your buck, Giannis. I mean, it was, you know, there's, I think, I looked, it was 18 miles, and maybe 10 of that was on horseback, and eight, we didn't stop for 12, 14 hours. We were just, just going.
3: Yeah, no, it was a beautiful day to walk around in the mountains. I mean, it was just, yeah.
0: Tell tell that had, story real quick, because I think multiple it's...
3: multiple good horse rides.
0: Oh, no, I want you to tell the story of the thing, because I think it kind of demonstrates when you're hunting with someone who spent 30 years hunting the area. Yeah. Just like talk about how that played out with the buck you got.
3: Well, prior to that was the first day I got to hunt with Stuart prior to that. I've been hunting with Landon. we've been hunting sort of the other side of this drainage and looking over at this mountain, which dangling gardens dangle on. (laughs) And uh, he kept saying, you know, there's bucks in that patch of timber and like, like you're seeing them. Well, no. Well, he's seen them there in the past. And Adam went by it one day, and he's like, "Man, it's just like a big rocky hillside. There's probably not any bucks over there." And then the next day, or no, that same afternoon, I hunted it backwards, and I looked over there some, and I'm like, "Yeah, it just doesn't look like a real bucky spot because it's just like
4: rocks." <laughs> but with Landon a few had trees. said it was too, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, was wasn't
5: there a story of the past where you'd done the same thing? And a lot of bucks came out of there.
1: Yeah, we had a a hunter from Pennsylvania, and and he'd been all over. He'd been to Africa, so he, you know, and he was he was a good hunter, but he was in his older years, and so that was a way for. How'd you get him up there? He couldn't have been that old. We well, he was. He was in his. uh, He would have been in his late late sixties, early seventies, and uh, he was a bigger fellow, and and uh, but pretty physical and robust even at his age. But uh, we rode him. We got him uh, dropped off at the point that would have been close to where Giannis On was. On horseback. On horseback. Oh, really? <laughs> he wasn't going to get off. so why we, we we, why'd
4: we, we, we <laughs> walk it?
1: <laughs> well, we, no, that, you, was, we, that <laughs> was a drop-off. That was the drop-off, not the hike-through. But we, uh, we went through that same batch uh, of timber. We'd had it. It was a tough, we were having it. It was a dry, uh, kind of an almost Indian summery type hunt uh, week. And so everything was just really tough and held up in the timber tight. And we thought this is one of our only options is to see if we can walk through this, uh, this strip of timber, which has kind of a natural funnel effect. They don't like to go down on that. They, they'd rather traverse around
0: because they've got cover and feed. And around. we haven't discussed, we don't have time to get into it. We haven't discussed the slide. Like this is the most slide rock intensive location I've ever been
1: scree it's, it's it's a lot of rock and and a lot of sli- we call it slide rock up the, you know from our terminology. And nothing wants
0: to walk on that stuff.
1: They don't they don't like to. And so that's part of the you know that timber was kind of nestled in in such a way that as it came around uh, in a tree line fashion uh, on that on that mountain that in the past we had driven that and we had driven out when we got we heard a shot get around he killed a buck and the guy says. I had to do something he says that uh, there were 13 bucks went in front of me and i had to take one <laughs> so you know he just uh you know he just it, he's, it blew him away that that, that would even because i think and, and i thought the same thing early on as when you glass it, you're thinking there's no way it's too rocky too but they like it does have brush in there that they like to nibble on but there's there's uh, places that they've through the years of of uh you know pot out to to make a bed on the uphill side of a tree yeah they
0: like excavate their beds they do they do that buck i got was in a place i feel a lot of i feel most hunters would would not scrutinize the hill where i found the buck because they're gonna be looking at the meadowy stuff right Uh you're gonna see all those beautiful grassy meadows not realizing that those older bucks are in the not they're in like a like hidey holes like weird spots you
1: know yeah. they, when
4: we walked through those trees doing the drive and i saw a bed and i was like how did this bed even hardly get made i mean it's like how do you even level it out i mean it's but they felt safe up there i mean we didn't think they were there probably nobody thought they were there i didn't think there was anything living on the side of that dangling gardens that's that's
1: their bed down uh site you know that they can especially when it's cold they can go around it it gets that uh It's on a south-facing slope, and they can get that sun, and yet they've got escape routes, you know, out the wazoo. Uh, They can go down if they're spooked.
4: But you were pretty confident when we were there ahead of time with Giannis. You know, we even said, "Well, wouldn't they go down or whatever?" Nope, they'll go. Usually, go right around. They'll go
1: around.
3: Yep. Yeah, when we were looking at it from across the way, you kept saying, "See how that band of timbers wraps right around that point?" You know, and it narrows down. It just necks down. To where if they want to stay near any kind of timber, they
0: have to take this one path. Um, Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it. slash meat eater applying for tags each year in the west can be daunting yeah i apply for everything everywhere it's daunting you have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply well this is a thing of the past now Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters this tool helps organize the data that matters makes comparing hunt options easy and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings on x hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to hunt and fool who i use for boots on the ground insight and knowledge and a membership to hunt reminder so you never miss another deadline stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024 check out on x hunt research tools Free for all on X Hunt Elite members. Not an Elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code Meat Eater to receive 20 off your membership at onxmaps.com/hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts, anyways. I don't. I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like, to, I just buy my stuff online, and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts, dude. They make some good shirts, and they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code Meat Eater for a free hat or t shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk free.
3: So, yeah, anyways, I hate to skip through all that, all this day, because we had this just this wonderful day of hunting that culminated in this, in shooting this buck, because we had seen prior to that, I think. Eight, eight other box. Yeah, at least. Mm-hmm. We had three inches of fresh snow that morning, like the biggest snow we had gotten. It was the morning after you killed yours. So that squall that had come in that allowed you to kill yours laid down about two or three inches, depending on where you were in the mountains. And it was just like the, you couldn't pick a better morning. And that's something I like to remark on. Did you notice how the weather seemed to really... Like it was either like very nice or you'd have this like crazy squall move in and you'd be yeah. like, holy shit. And then... That would last for not too long, and then all of a sudden it would just be beautiful again. Yep. There, we don't, I definitely do not There, took notice there, there, there wasn't
0: that. a lot of in-between. There's a lot of putting clothes on and taking them off. Oh. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> Layers are very important.
3: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, But yeah, we hiked around a good bit, like Adam said. We did basically one whole hunt and then decided to continue up the mountain, got back on our horses, and that's when we, like, I felt like we graduated to level 10 uh, horse riding it was that afternoon because we just went off the trail and just straight up s- straight up. The it was mountain. the man
4: from Snowy River, but uphill In instead of down. Yes. If you watch that movie backward <laughs> Right?
3: <laughs> it was. Oh, man. That's it was. Steep. It, were, it was cool. Um, where did we get to? We got to like, a climb,
1: we got to a pass. We got up to a rim that, uh, that had, could look down into a
4: bowl, a great yeah. big bowl. It was actually the only time we stopped all day. Did lunch there for about a half hour. And other than that, from dark to dark, we didn't stop moving, right? I mean, other than just standing glass.
3: Yeah. Other than the time when we got up to the top of this unnamed peak and Stuart said, I've got a plan. <laughs> 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 and uh, it involved you, Adam, yeah. and Stuart yeah. walking the dangling gardens. And I was going to get to walk down the ridge and go sit and wait for bucks to come around the corner. And... uh yeah, it worked out perfectly. I got also, I got nestled in, and I had a nice little shooting perch when I had my tripod set up where I could shoot zero to 250 yards if they came close, and if they got by me and it kind of spilled out into this big open basin that was to my left, I had my pack already set up so I could switch positions and get on my pack and make a longer shot.
0: You had your mise en place. Yes. That's a culinary term.
3: Yes. Four?
0: All your stuff in order. Yeah. Your prep um i used to have to do a lot
3: of mise en place uh do you know what uh shoot i'm trying to remember the term now when you cut like a real fine dice like a quarter inch what's that called When you got to have like quarter inch dice carrots in your mise en place come on know
0: i know that when you get your carrots and your onions and your mushroom diced up it's a mirepoix. yeah
3: No mushrooms, though. Just celery, (laughs) onions, and carrots. Is (laughs) that (laughs) what it is? But not to diverge. Um, I was ready, and it took a while. You called on the radio, and you said, are you ready? I said, yeah. He said, we're starting in, and a lot of times on a drive, I feel like if it's going to happen, it happens pretty quick because you bump something as soon as you get into the patch that you're going to push, and the deer or the elk or whatever goes through its zone, and it happens. Well, like 15 minutes went by, and... I'm chatting with Tyler, the camera guy, and I'm like, yeah, I'm half expecting these guys just to pop out at any moment, and you know, we'll be getting on out of here. But I'm telling myself, stay ready, stay ready. And sure enough, like right on the point of the ridge, here come two bodies, you know, two bucks coming. Well, they're traveling
0: together. Yep.
3: And uh, they're probably, I don't know, hundred yards, hundred fifty yards below me, kind of wrapping around. And at some point, for whatever reason, when they were maybe 200 yards away, they decided to come straight up the hill. But I knew they wouldn't go over the top because it's all that shale rock and you know, just there's no nothing to travel on. And so they once they kind of hit that stuff, they turned. And it almost made it tough because they were coming almost at me. I didn't really have a shot. I would have shot him earlier had he given me given me a broadside shot, but he came and kept just coming at me. So I had to wait until they finally just like the angled. Decreased, and he became broadside, and that was probably it. It was somewhere between fifty and seventy yards. It's pretty close. Huh. Piled him up. Yeah, yeah. Shot. Had. A sh- I was shooting for like chest, like front of the front shoulder, because he was quartering two pretty severely, and uh, he was moving. He. I just had a little gap that he went through, and uh, I touched off and I caught him in like the lower neck. Lost my neck roasts. Lost <laughs> well, half of one shoulder. But, uh, yeah, he piled up. He didn't go anywhere. That
4: yeah, it was three, three bullets fired and
5: three bucks mm-hmm. down.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I
5: remember hearing good. that shot from across the canyon. you alerted me to the shot. Yeah, and uh, I just listened for the radio chatter after that. And Stuart came on the radio asking if Yanni had shot. And Yanni said, I had to shoot him almost in self-defense. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: yeah he was gonna gore me
0: (laughs) it was good uh i'm gonna do i'm gonna do my concluder it's my concluder is a two-part concluder okay um part my part one of my concluder is we had there was a big winter kill two big winter kills in western wyoming and don't don't they estimate that about 50 percent of the mule deer got killed well uh, our fawn mortality was over 90 percent Oh, okay
1: and uh, uh i don't know what the total but you know you look you lose no- over 90
0: percent of your your fawn crop that's a big well, hit that severe yeah and we had talked about doing this hunt a couple years ago and landon uh generously in character with himself uh said you know you guys might want to wait a little bit to see kind of how things are going to shake out with the mule deer population um and there's still some chatter you know in 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 in, um people who like to hunt this area There's some still some chatter about is it worth it or not and how are the mule deer doing uh my sense after looking around is that barring another weather catastrophe um this place is gonna be special in a couple years because there are a lot of up-and-coming I don't know if it always seems like that, but there seems to be like a lot of up and coming bucks, like a lot of like classic four by four mule deer bucks on the mountain right now. That are younger, your three and four year old bucks. Yeah. And And if like, unless something, some kind of other catastrophe would happen, I'd have to think that things are going to be like, things are going to be kind of back to the good old days. Yeah.
2: The The genetics are all there. And and the ones that survive that those tough winters are only going to pass on those good genetics, and continue to to build our herd. Yeah. Um. And so I, you know, I think what we saw this week, you know, I we probably saw forty or fifty different bucks, um, and a, and a good chunk of those I think being four point that are up and coming, going to be mature the, the bucks. Ma-
0: the majority. Yep. This is really surprising. Yep. The majority. You don't you don't have to worry about the where are all the forkies right so i don't know where you guys are going to be at in five years but in one or two years it's gonna be awesome <laughs> well uh, yeah and that's the thing that, and that points
1: out the fact when you don't see that many forkies it you realize that yeah that the, the fawn mortality was up that was two years ago wasn't it well two well i think two back almost back to back we've had the, the almost comparable uh, it is true
4: we did not see a lot of forks no
0: there are a lot of like bucks all. that are like like doug Duran says there are a lot of nice buck next year's yes yeah, yeah. um that was my one observation. The second, we don't do many um a lot of users would do none at all. We don't do many hunts to go out with outfitters. Uh but man, it was real eye opening. Um I realized that it's almost like a, a kind of uh it's almost like a like a like a kind of vanity or something or like a kind of pride that uh would prevent one partially to prevent one from wanting to go and like, have someone else be really in the driver's seat. You know, um, you get to like, you like, oh, I know how to do, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'll do it by God. I can do it myself. Uh, and I, I kind of over the years developed that sentiment a little bit. And, and there's another friend of ours, Jay Scott, who I've spent some, he's a guide and spend some time around him. Um, and you learn a lot. It was fun. Like, it was really fun to be out with you guys and see. Um, you have phenomenal game eyes. I want to know if you have a good game eye in looking for those animals in that spot. I'd love to see if you got a good game eye somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like if you were in Michigan, would you be spotting deer <laughs> through uh, thick brush all the time? Would you be like, there's a deer ankle 20 yards away? <laughs> yeah. Or, um, you know, you guys have phenomenal game eyes, and then just the stuff about the horses. And I appreciate and hanging out with you guys, and that's why I would just so hardly recommend people that want to go do a hunt like this to hook up with you guys. Is um, you uh, you teach like you you guys teach without lecturing. I, I don't know quite know how to put it, but in a very like gracious, friendly way of just wanting, not wanting to like get people to do what you want to do but just wanting to get people to um, have an experience. Have a positive one. Yeah, like have an experience and come away a better person. Like you really shared a lot of information. You shared a lot of information in a very cool way, like a really digestible, friendly way um, without ever, yeah, without ever seeming like you guys are look down on your clients or are annoyed by your guests, right? Or that you're like you'd have got it done so fast if they weren't there. Kind of attitude. It was really fun. Well, I, I had a really, really great six days of uh hanging out with you guys.
1: Well, it's like I told you guys up before we left. You know, it's fun to hunt with guys that are willing and game hunters to do what it takes to hunt in a fair chase style, uh, and know that there's always a chance that you might not find that uh, dream buck that you imagine that you were going to see behind every tree. Uh, I think you honest, and I'd talked earlier about the, the, you know, the tough winter and that there was always that possibility. We hadn't really seen what, what we were going to experience, but what, it, it became apparent and I, and I have to be honest, I was nervous knowing that you guys had, you know, eight, eight points. That's a lot of points, uh, had taken and, and cashed in on those to come and hunt with us this year uh maybe it'd be a disaster that we wouldn't see any deer that it was it was going to be that tough but uh you guys made it worthwhile to hunt with because you guys had good game eyes which improves our ability of of saying okay we know the train. you guys you know may have seen that buck now we know how a little bit how to get to that Mm -hmm. those are things that to me uh the experience of the hunter that comes and hunts with us is is overall whether it's in camp whether it's on horseback because the more you can enjoy the horseback ride the more you'll enjoy the overall hunt because uh it's no fun if 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 you're just uh if you got you know puckered up butt in the saddle <laughs> thinking stuff <It's> the- <laughs> <laughs> just thinking <laughs> When's this ride going to be over? You know, I, I, to me, it it just, I, I could empathize because I, I knew, I grew up on a horse. And the first time I went, went with dad hunting as a 14-year-old boy, and we were traversing across a, a side hill that was uh, slick and snowy, and my horse slipped, it just frightened me to death. And I thought, wow, I don't know if I've, it's not a very comfortable scenario.
0: Yeah, I did spend a lot of time wondering what it's like to have one of those things roll over on you. <laughs> <laughs> but you had it. it. rolled over on you. You were all right. In the you creek. Gotta get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Seth, what do you got? You got a good concluder?
5: Even bad concluder. I don't care. Um I don't know if I'm
0: quite a horseman yet. No, you're allergic to horses, Seth. The whole time Seth's <laughs> eyes are watering, his nose is running. Um <laughs> It's like being out in a boat with Giannis. I
5: I I. Re- <laughs> after this week, I respect horses in a way that i I'd nev- i've never done before um i've always kind of like just rode them off just because i'm uh, you know always miserable when i'm around them
0: maybe yeah, you grew uh, this thing you grew up on a farm though but you guys raise hogs
5: and whatnot we had horses too when i was younger just i never like i don't know i just never paid attention to them never drawn to them yeah never drawn to them um but watching landon and stewart do what they do with horses and and just like the overall experience this
3: week um Makes everybody want to be a cowboy, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I was like riding out being like, where would I keep a horse? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. yeah.
5: Steve Yonis, was, like, he was
4: wondered, like, you know what? Maybe I'll keep one out of Matt's place. And Miles, he's,
5: got,
0: he's got room. Giannis,
4: I asked you the same thing on the way out today. We were riding him like, so you think you'd ever get horses? <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. First I think I'm just gonna start with some chaps and a hat.
0: <laughs> I mentioned getting a horse and keeping it maths and yeah, it's like, oh yeah, and just let it go feral. And I'm like, eh, probably. probably. <laughs> then I'd get kicked in the head by it and sell it.
1: <laughs> but but if you just wear the cat the hat and the chaps, you'll be considered a drugstore cowboy until you've been through and had that hat banged up a few times and <laughs> and stepped on and well that's
0: partly what not true. Because Landon was a saying. That he does even, he wears his baseball cap out riding horses and doesn't put his cowboy hat on until he goes to buy a horse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's or certain, a cow. <laughs> yeah, or a cow. Those hats don't come cheap. So. <laughs> 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 These chaps that
4: Stewart's got on pretty nice here, Is too. Stewart's still wearing his chaps. Yeah, and they're muddy, too. Yeah, they're still muddy. We, we, I don't know uh, if that's horse poo or mud, but. Yeah, could be a little blood on there, too, but.
1: Uh, you know the, all of the the stuff that we experience. You know you, you realize, and through the years for us, uh, I re- I was raised on a ranch. I cowboyed a lot out on the range, but most of my cowboying was done without a hat and with tennis shoes, <laughs> because I had an image of a cowboy. You know because of what I'd seen, some of the cowboy images I had weren't the kind of heroes that I. You know there are a lot of great cowboys that I could probably call heroes, but back in my day of of people that I observed weren't weren't cowboy heroes uh, and and the dress didn't impress me. Oh, Um, I got you. You associated
0: it with reality rather than the mythos. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't until I got out of high school
1: that I, you know, really engaged in wearing the Wrangler pants all the time, found out they were comfortable. They wear good and uh, cowboy boots were comfortable and, and, uh, but I like a hat in the mountains because it is a, it, that brim sticks out, and it becomes my, uh, you know, my test against pine boughs. If I feel a pine bough starting to hit my hat, I know to duck my head. And instead of a hat band, you leave your headlamp on there all day long. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I forget to put it in my pack because, uh, you know, we're leaving in the dark, and we're going headed home in the dark. So. <laughs>
3: And in a rainstorm, boy, those hats sure keep that rain from running down your...
1: That and the pine needles, they don't get down the back of your neck as easily. And the snow, too. I, I have some
5: epic photos of Stuart in a snowstorm. Just snow laying... Dry neck. Snow laying on top of his hat. I can't wait to get home and edit, edit those photos <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> Yanni, what do you got?
3: Oh, man. I, we had, Tyler and I got to ride uh, Buck and Blondie, who are attached at the hip, figuratively... And uh, we got our horsemanship merit badge. I felt at least an honorary horsemanship merit badge the day that you guys left us hunting in that zone to go and where you guys found your buck. You remember that? hmm yeah? And so we got, well, we knew on radios at some point in the day, but then we got there and there was a little note in my gun scabbard <laughs> that said- <laughs> Well, that's where it was? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, because that's where I was going to probably go to first.
0: But you had to notice there's a lot less horses than when you... (laughs)
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But
3: it said, uh, we've gone up the mountain, and uh, you boys get back after dark on your own, and uh, let us know what you're up to, Landon. (laughs) 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 And uh, it was... So we knew we had to ride by ourselves, so we left a little bit earlier than I probably would have if Landon was there. We had maybe 30 minutes of light left. And... uh, It was snowing a little bit. It was quiet like it is after a fresh snow and just, you know, only two horses and just, we didn't talk and there was no headlamps and we kind of rode and it it just darkness slowly fell. I mean, that's why you call it magic mountain. I mean, just like an amazing, like people would, Paid ten thousand dollars to experience that, you know, it was probably on the way in. I think it took us two hours. I bet you we got back to camp in just over an hour because when they go back to camp, they're using third gear, not yeah. first.
0: Yeah, they know they're headed back, man. Yeah,
3: but uh, man, was it cool in the darkness? Well, again, fresh snow and maybe a touch of moonlight coming. Did you guys through. take that same route out of there? Yeah, we oh, did. We were coming around, I think we still had the lake near us. We're on a pretty open hillside and we're kind of coming out of the timber. And maybe only 15, 20 yards away, there's a small cow elk standing on the trail facing us. And the horse didn't see her quite as soon as I did. She took like three more steps and then stopped. And they just kind of had a stare off. And finally, the cow elk spooked. And after that, Blondie was not taking the lead anymore. I had been in the lead <laughs> and she went up the hill and then just stood there and looked over her shoulder. And Buck had to take the lead. Oh, really? After that, yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, it was a spe- it was a special evening, special ride out. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, like you were saying, what a special experience! I think that's it's it's a iconic hunt to go into the mountains, ten miles on horseback, um, hunt off a horseback. I and mean, you read about it; people write novels. Yeah, all you know, many hunting magazines have stories of them in every fall about the adventure we just did, you know, and if you want to do one with some capable and uh trustworthy outfitters that have their program tight, these guys be the ones to do it with.
0: Yeah, I agree. Steve,
4: can I say a couple I appreciate words? Appreciate that. No, you you're next. Am I oh okay. no well, I didn't <laughs> part of the meat eater crew, so I didn't oh, oh, oh no no the no. I? I?
0: concluders are yeah.
4: Everybody the, gets it's more. gratis man. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I felt like you know when somebody invites you to their home and you know, the shoes come off and you're just, you're comfortable and maybe you're commenting on the taxidermy on the wall. You go into the garage and see what they have and you just, you feel like they just open up to you. That's how I felt, I think, with Stuart and Landon. It was like, especially for Stuart because of all the years and even Landon since what, going up there since you were four is, I mean, every, every tree, I mean, we even commented on the way out today on the horses how we went in there and we'd looked on, you know, the computer, different things, you know, on X and Google you know uh you know earth or whatever but we went in and came out felt like we knew that so much better after a week imagine 30 years or you know 20 years or whatever it is to see it and i felt like we got a view kind of into their living room you know of them well could- the night
0: we got here you remember the restaurant was closed oh, we and went- we literally got a view in the living room yeah
4: <laughs> we we got here after 9 p.m
0: they made us pancakes with
4: in and-, and, and both their wives were there yeah, pancakes and bacon, all those things. But then to go up there too, I felt like it was such this they have this pride in all those rocks and the you know, the you know, the crooked sky and all those different things and that I felt like they had this like they just opened it up and, and I think it was an honor for us to be able to be brought into something that was so special for them. It was an honor yeah, for me anyway. Sure. Yeah.
0: Okay, you guys get to do yours, but one of you I I I, I hate to tell what a man what his concluder needs to be. But you should tell people how to come find you, the best way to come find you, and like wh- and what you offer, you know, what kind of hunts you guys do.
2: Well, um, obviously, I'll guess go on on the beginning of that. Um, we have an Instagram page, we have a Facebook page, We've got a website up um, that we'd invite you to go check out. Um, or we are a little bit lacking in some of that stuff, um, but we're trying to make it better. Um, but we would encourage that we do like to talk with people on the phone so we can be very upfront and direct and tell them kind of what we got. So, you know, emails work. We don't mind correspondence through emails. We'd encourage that. But, you know, give us a call. We're not afraid to spend time talking with you talking, you know, and if you got a buck tag that you've been putting in for, you know, eight years, you know, we're going to be honest with you if we feel like it's going to be a good year. Um,
0: but, it, but an elk, you, you, a guy could come hunt elk on two, with, with two to three points. Two to three points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we saw oh, a yeah. lot Can of those. We,
3: I'm going to interrupt and just mention, like, uh, if you had two or three points right now for Wyoming, I'd really recommend coming. <laughs> Dude, we saw
0: the elk. Yeah. The elk numbers there are, are some, There are some places. Yeah. I, I'm. I got a boatload of elk points, but I'm. I don't know. Well, it was pretty cool. We Pretty saw cool. some
2: really neat bulls. You know, yeah. the one bull we got on video it was 350 plus. I mean, there's some really good genetics there. Our age group of our bulls is where they needs to be. Our bull, the cow ratio is really high. Um, but, you know, that's the thing that, you know, as an, an outfitter, we hope to be able to provide an expert opinion for people to be able to spend their money as, as best as possible. Um, you know, so if they come and hunt with us, they know that their best interest is going to be held within within us to say, hey, you know, this year's a good year. We're going to do everything we can to get you. Because we know, you know, money doesn't always come easy for people um, as it hasn't for us um, growing up. And so that's one of the things we want people to feel confident in is that, you know, money is really not our motive. Um, and so the way we manage the area, we try to not over hunt it. Um, we try to be very uh, good stewards of the area that we hunt to give people a good experience. And that's ultimately what we try to pursue as an outfitter. Um, and and I guess that's what you could say we live by. Um, money does not drive what we do. It's the love of giving people the opportunity, the experience to fulfill dreams that they've had.
0: Yeah. You guys were very clear with us about what uh, what to expect. And what you'd seen and it was nothing but pleasant surprises man
2: well we appreciated what hunting with you guys i think that was one of the things that was most impressive to me was you know obviously you guys know how to glass you guys know how to hunt that was very apparent but it's the way you interact and the way you treat people you know we we felt you know very much um at ease with you guys and so you know i had a lot of people ask you know, what was it like to hunt with them? What was it like? What are they like as people? You know, obviously people portray a certain way when they're on the video, you know, what are they like in person? And, and I never felt from a single one of the crew any kind of look down upon because of your status, you know, because of where you are at um, in your life and what your your social status is. We never felt that from any of you guys. And so we appreciated being able to hunt with you. It was a great experience that we learned, you know, things as we watched and observed how you hunted and 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 how you went about things, you know, the little butt pad, I think we're gonna take that and adopt that, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things that,
0: Well if you guys can find yeah. um if you guys can find half of a ridge rest.
2: You, you guys can each, buy a whole
3: one and split it. If you get well,
2: half of ridge rest, you'll each have two butt pads. Well that's what <laughs> we want because I mean those pine boughs they they only work for so long. So <laughs> well, that was one thing we watched. That You know, we do spend a lot of time on our butts glassing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something we saw from you guys that thought, you know, that's probably a worthwhile thing to do. In the
0: snow, especially. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. this it,
2: time of year, you never know what the weather's going to be like. And mine doubles as a napping pad. That's right. <laughs> that's right.
0: Stuart, do you have any final observations? Well, it, <clears throat> any, any kind of thing. Doesn't matter.
1: Well, for me, it was uh, it was a... Just a fun experience with you, you guys that like to hunt, enjoy the outdoors. I, I find more pleasure, and I I find my friendship is kindled quicker with people that appreciate that, like I love it and appreciate it. I, I never felt like at any point uh, was the hunting area uh, overrun by the thought of I can throw my trash or my sacks, <laughs> my anything. Because I've and I've made it clear with hunters in the past that, I, and, and maybe it was the older generation because I had to get after my own dad to do that. To, uh, You're saying people would like to
0: put their like a little sandwich bag under their, a rock. They'll <laughs> put their sandwich
1: bag or their the might it, back in in the early days when my dad guided. They used to put out a little can of I don't know some of these little cans of juice, and uh, I remember hearing some of that generation say, well, it's just a monument to what, you know, the people have sat down on this mountain before. And I (laughs) I don't want that kind of monument. I want it to be pristine because I often find myself thinking about when I'm on top of a ridge, looking across the expanse of the mountain range, you know, ahead, what it may have been like as a, as a early explorer of that country laying eyes for the first time uh, on that land. I think about it often. Yeah, and and it it causes me to to be a little bit nostalgic in in my thought process, and and so people that respect and have an enjoyment, I I have a you know my friendship is kindled right away in my interest in your own lives, uh, and lastly is that, uh, and I've said this to Landon many times, and I learned this a lot from my uncle who, he said we want to do good in the world. And I think if we can, we can uh, do good in the world by showing people the beauties that God created for man to enjoy, which we did, I think that's, that to me is one of the greatest uh, fulfillments of what I get out of it. My wife says, why do you like it so much? It's so hard. <laughs> You're late nights and early mornings. It's cold. It's stormy. And I said, I, it's hard to explain. But when I share the the, a view of a of a beautiful scene uh, up on a mountain, under a horse or not under the horse, hopefully we're on top of the horse, (laughs) but on top of a horse, a good horse, and and uh, you're just saying, man, wow, look at that uh, landscape, or look at that, uh, you know, look at that big bull, a beautiful big bull, or the sunset, all of that stuff. For me to enjoy that with another person that enjoys that, uh, it's like. Uh, we were kindred spirits that we, we must've liked the same things, you know, before we ever landed on earth so that we would have this opportunity to cross paths and enjoy it again. Because to me, this is uh, th- that's what it's all about is enjoying what's before us. I guess early on, you know, as a, as an outfitter and as a guide, uh, it was tough for me to, to not get an animal, you know, cause my first several years, I never missed, I, I was sure I was going to get my game. As soon as I started guiding that quit, uh, I probably, in, in 30 years, I have probably only killed maybe four or five animals.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I've, yeah, I've never asked you about the last
1: time you yell conned. He says so about a decade ago or something like It's that. just It's just one of those things that now I, the, the fulfillment is being able to, to share what I know to hopefully be successful in, in getting somebody a, an opportunity to fulfill a dream to To experience something that, that becomes a memory burned deep in their insides that says, hey, that was worth doing.
0: One thing that illustrates uh, your guys' capacity for reverence uh, that I thought was quite impressive was what you went through to be able to go to church with your families on Sunday to hunt all day and then after dark strike off on horseback to ride – seven miles seven miles and then drive i don't know how many how long got home at 3 (laughs) a.m yeah to go to church with your families then come riding back up into the mountains well (laughs) you know we we uh a lot of people don't want to go a mile down the road man
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know we uh, years ago we established the policy that uh, we'd try to rest our horses and our guides as much on a sunday just to to help revive them help them to to stay in good spirits and and we've even found that, that hunters that uh, have come with us may initially think, ah, I'm not sure I want to be able to hunt on Sunday. When they've had that break, say it's their, that uh, their hunt takes a Sunday in the middle of their, uh, their hunt, that they're thinking, we're grateful to heal up a few saddle sores. And, and it just revives them physically, and then they're, they're, they're ready for another day. But the reality of it is that we feel like that, uh, that Heavenly Father's been really good to us, um, We've had very few incidents with people being injured on a mountain, and I think it's because we try hard to, to reverence that day for us and, and uh, the, the backcountry and the animals. And, and so, it, yeah, it's, it, it sometimes seems like a sacrifice, but it's always been a wonderful blessing to, to be able to get out and, and, and refocus on some things that really are most important, that's the family. Uh, and even if, even if it's only for, for half a dozen hours and then back in, yeah to something that we again, you know or we're re- we're we're ready to be geared up and do it again
0: uh so it's 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 a fun thing oh yeah i didn't i didn't yeah i didn't find it any kind of annoyance i thought it was uh i thought it was admirable
1: Well, we we appreciate that I, those are things to to us that mean a lot to us uh, and uh as i sensed was we've talked with you guys on the mountain which is a fun thing about how you you know your families the family is where the lasting happiness really will come over, over and above any of the other stuff that, that we may uh,
0: you know achieve in life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's good. And and uh, you guys pull some long days. It and
1: it and it is. You you come 20, out. You guys,
0: but I, I guess sometimes you guys pull you guys pull twenty hour days.
1: They they yeah. they'll end up with twenty hours, and you you know you. You come down a little jaded. You lose a little weight.
4: But it doesn't take you long to put that weight back on, you know, when you get home. But let me also comment, though, because we're saying all these things, that when Stuart and I did go to recover my buck, he did put a rifle in his scabbard. And I said, "Oh, Stuart, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, you never know if we're gonna jump a big old buck up there." <laughs> I said, "Wait, are we gonna go tell Steven Yannis, and he just kind of gives me this smirk?" <laughs> so he still got it in him. No, I,
1: still, I still got the
4: desire to. Yeah. He said, "I to got do. a tag." Yeah, that's good.
0: Well, guys, thanks so much um, for taking us out. Thanks for coming on the show. I know you've been you you put in a very long week this week, so I'm glad you could come join us on the show. But I was I was very excited to kind of share some of your, uh, perspectives and the details of your business with, with our listeners. Because I know quite often people, um, you know, who don't have a lot of experience will ask like, well, what would be a good way to kind of dip my toes into this whole thing? And, you know, it's, it's nice to have found, um, not just you, but some other people too, uh, guides. We know that where you'd be like, that would be a worthwhile, uh, that'd be a worthwhile adventure to go on is to, to hook up with you guys on a trip. So I, I encourage people to come find you. Appreciate
1: we appreciate that. That, that, uh, that means a lot to uh, coming from guys that know how to hunt. And, and it's fun. Like say, Lance, it's fun to hunt with guys that like to hunt and know how to hunt. Yeah, it really does. We, we learn from you. Like say the, the butt pad idea, <laughs> <laughs> we, we call man of debt. In fact, uh, coming back, uh, was it, what night was it? Was it was like, Sunday night. It was Sunday night coming back in. I'd seen a, a a little pad, a sleeping pad that uh, fell off somebody's back uh, pack, probably during the archery hunt. And I've ridden past it a time or two, you know, several <laughs> times. Thinking, <"Huh." laughs> but after seeing what you guys did, I thought I told Landon, I said, "Hey, pick that up. We'll cut that up and we'll use that <laughs> in our packs." So,
0: all right.
3: All right. L- last but not least, oh. if you had to rate our group as uh, ho- her- horsemen. <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to ten. Not individually, because I don't want you to point out one guy that really sucked on a horse. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and yeah. yeah, and don't count the fact it took me four days to figure out how to tie a quick release knot.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, Ra- rate you as a
0: group?
1: Yeah.
3: You can be honest. One to ten?
1: <laughs> yeah. I-, I would say that you started out at uh, probably in the three to four range. Yeah, that's
3: a pretty good place yeah, to and start. And
1: and I think by the end, I think you were you'd gained probably another three to four points. Ooh. Yeah. All right, that's great. I, mean, I, oh. I, oh. I, I did. I you know obviously <laughs> you got used to the horse that you were riding. You were comfortable, and I thought it would be fun if you switched it up because the more horses, different personality horses ride, the better you become. Oh, and, yep. Instead of being used to the same, yeah, how the horse behaves. A, a true horseman sh- uh, is is becomes
0: adaptable to the type of horse he's riding at that time but did you guys be honest when you guys went into your bunk at night did you guys goof on seth a little bit (laughs) i didn't get to see seth uh, too much i I did i did talk a little bit about
1: uh mike's uh ability to to control his horse because if it decided it wanted to go off trail it was going off trail a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh he, he didn't have a hold of the reins other than way up on the ends which has no control so he was he was on autopilot (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was fun it was great that was an awesome awesome trip all
5: right guys thanks again thank you
0: I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to PonchoOutdoors.com, use code Meat Eater for a free hat or t-shirt. With any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns so you can try them out risk-free. Telling you what, decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck. The decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up too. You keep your tools and gear organized. Job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping.